2: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSC.
1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Ball, clears it out. That'll do it. What a win for the Blues. Bring out the Zamboni. Wow. They win four to three over Calgary on late heroics by Brandon Sod and 32 saves from Jordan Bennington.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kiley. That's what it sounded like last night on the Blues Radio Network right here on 101 ESPN. As the Blues get a win in Western Canada and Calgary, Canada, if you will. They win that game by a final score of four to three. And Alex, they played like crap. Absolute crap for about 40 minutes dude you can't
4: say that they just won
0: yep and they played about as poorly as you can for 40 minutes of hockey i was listening to uh chris kerber on the call alex ferrario on pre-post intermission
4: you, you see how he does that oh i was listening to chris kerber on the call i wasn't listening to alex on pre and post game i was listening to alex er, to chris kerber on the call
5: it makes it feel better i wouldn't listen to either um what,
4: what, why am i why am i here i was giving baby boy a bath. We are oh, listening to the, that to the radio
0: broadcast as a part of it. And Curbs, you could tell based on the call oh, how yeah. frustrated he was midway through that second period. He wanted nothing to do with that game because they just kept turning the puck over. It felt like every possession, you get it started and it's going the other way. You get it started, it's going the other way. And yet they find a way to get the two points. And really... That's all you can ask for right now, man. They're racking up the points. And if you looked at it today, they're like a point out of the playoffs because this Western Conference kind of stinks right now. Kind of. Alex, you have mentioned this a number of times. It feels like the Blues have an on and off switch. Felt that way with Craig Berube. Starting to feel that way once again with Drew Bannister. Not a reflection of him. It's a reflection of the players. And I think when we're talking about the Blues on and off switch, it's really saying, and if I'm getting specific here, Hey, your top line has an on and off switch because I know what to expect out of the middle six. It's not much, man. Brandon saw a good game last night, but otherwise, you know that you don't have a championship caliber middle six forwards right now. You know the defensive core is fine. You got a good goalie right now. That's something you can lean on. But really, the Blues win and lose based on their top line performance. And last night for two periods, they stunk. And in the third period, they started to play hockey again. And that's it it really is as simple as that.
4: Yeah, I I mean, and first off, I'm really starting to enjoy Drew Bannister because he is about as blunt as you can ask for. And frankly, why wouldn't you be if you're an interim head coach with a team that does decide when they want to play last night. They asked him Matt Defrank said, like, did you say anything? And he goes, yeah, but I can't say what I said here yep. because I think it probably got a little aggressive. And then he followed that up with, look, we've got to stop falling asleep in a period. And then just deciding when we want to play. He said, when we decide we want to play, we're a good team. And, I know he's talking about the roster and he's not going to pinpoint individuals. He was talking about your top line last night. Now, granted, we spent Monday talking about how the Blues are too reliant on that top line and they need other players to step up. Last, I don't think they're capable, though. I, I think there are certain guys that are capable. I think Jake Nabors can take his game to another level, and I think he does. I think Brandon Sod can take his game to another level. Last night, he showcased it. I think Brayden Shen can. I think your bottom six can't take your game to the other level because you're playing Nathan Walker and Alexei Toropchenko in your top nine. But last night, Shad, Shad, there you go. Shad and neighbors. There you go. That line were the best line on the ice. Jordan, Kyrie, Robert Thomas, and Pavel Buchnevich had a total of five shot attempts mm. in two periods of play. And then the third period, they said, okay, let's start it up, boys. And they decided to jump into the hockey. Now, sometimes the other team can shut you down. I cannot say that about the Calgary Flames. The Calgary Flames don't play defense. Hence the Jordan Kairou goal last night. Go ahead shoot it. When you've got another line that can step up then Thomas Kairou and Buchnevich can decide to do things, but that's the part that's frustrating. And that's the part that I think Bannister has talked a lot about. If you just get the effort that they showed in the third period for two other periods, the blues are a clear cut playoff team. The problem is there are individuals last night. It was the top line other nights. It's the Shen line other nights. It's your defensemen that come in and out of games and when you're deciding when to play, sure, you came back and beat Calgary last night. But when you're doing that against Vancouver, when you're doing that against L.A., when you're doing that against some of these teams that play very well defense and don't allow rush chances, you're not coming back in that game. So it's the it's the roller coasters. It's the 500 hockey team. But man, if they could just get an effort like they got in the third period for two more periods, like Bannister said, I think we're talking about this team being a playoff team.
5: Yeah, it's the inconsistencies in the top line because the, the that second line chin neighbor sod those guys are going to float in and out of games because they're just not, they're not elite players. They're really good players that every team needs to have on a roster. The problem is the top line, and they floated in and out of games, and those are the guys that you need to be able to say, here's what we're going to get from our top line tonight. They may not put up any points in the game, but you know what? You're going to get a consistent effort, and what I saw last night was, again, back to, like you said, deciding to show up in the third period, because the first and second period, they forgot they were the white team. They they weren't wearing the black jerseys, and they were turning the puck over, and it led to a goal on one of those opportunities for Calgary, and that's just the kind of thing that can't happen if you're going to be on a top line for the St. Louis Blues, so... I, I think as much as we have talked about it as a team thing, and I think to a certain extent, it kind of is where the team doesn't necessarily does decide when they want to show up. I think the first line is the one that should be highlighted in bold in that conversation Exactly,
0: because they're the ones that are going to help you lead you through this rebuild. Like I, I feel like I'm always trying to have two different kind of conversations. It, it's the same thing that we heard from uh, Doug Armstrong, where he said, we're living on two different timelines right now. We're trying to win right now, but we're also trying to build for the future. That's how I feel after I evaluate every game. Where it's like, okay, I'm having two different conversations. We evaluate this game, but we're also really evaluating what the future looks like. And I lean a lot more towards, okay, what does this mean for the future than what does this mean for right now? Because frankly, the right now isn't as interesting to me. The right now is they're a 500 hockey club. And they'll ebb and flow a little above, maybe a little below. And because the Western Conference isn't very good right now and the middle is so soft, I think you might be able to you might be able to maintain your spot of like being right on the cusp of being a playoff team. I think that's possible for the Blues, but even while you're maintaining that spot, you're also like seventh in the NHL draft order. So it's kind of hard to say you're a good or even great hockey team. I think you're merely fine and you have a lot of holes on this roster. And I think what we're learning, Alex, this season, we talked a lot early on about Robert Thomas taking his game to the next level. And I think he has. I think he's a legitimate number one center in this league. I don't think he has a top line winger right now. I think what you're looking at is you have a top line center, but no top line wingers with him. I think you have a couple of third line players that are fine on championship level teams. Like I think Brandon Sod is a perfectly capable third line player on a championship caliber team. I think Brayden Chan at times looks like he can be that guy. I think Jake Neighbors at times looks like he can be that guy. I don't think you really have a second line, though. It's Kairou and Buchnevich with no second line center right now. And then you've got pieces of a fourth line as well. So you're just you're kind of you've got this skeleton depth chart that you're working with right now. And you got a lot of guys that are being asked to do more than they're capable of. And so we evaluate the team. We talk about you're too reliant on your top line, and that's true. But the problem is you're too reliant on a top line that isn't capable of being a top line night in and night out. And that's what's required. If Jordan Carew is going to be a top line winger, a number one winger in the NHL, you have to be capable of giving the same performance every night. And I don't think he is, man. And that's okay. Like maybe he's just not going to be an $11 million player, he's an $8 million player. That's what he's paid. And when you look around the league you look at guys that are paid about eight million bucks they score 30 goals a year that's kind of what you're paying for right now and if that ends up being what he is and he's like on pace for 25 goals so be it but it's hard for me to sit here and evaluate every game like it is the end of the world when we're talking about a retool and we're talking about a team that i think has basically met expectations this year i don't think we should be asking them to be a whole lot more than what they've been
4: honestly i think my issue with the team isn't so much about this season because I'm in the same area that you guys are in. Like, I know this team is could be a playoff team, could be drafting in the top 10, because that's just the Western Conference. I think my problem with this team is what we talked about at the beginning of the season and what led to Craig Barubi being fired and what Drew Bannister has taken over now. Like, we're talking about a team that you're trying to figure out the the culture and the competition level. And there are a lot of guys here that you're planning on taking this team out of the retool. And if you still have a compete problem now that you've gone through two coaches and you're still sitting, you're saying, well, these guys are the guys that are taking us out of the retool, but we've got to figure out how to fix the compete. That's the bigger problem for me. And that's why when you see these ups and downs, it does get frustrating when you break it down from individual games, because I'm looking at it as big picture here. Like, okay, cool. Big picture. Kairu's a part of this roster. I asked the question to you guys yesterday. Can you win a Stanley Cup with Jordan Cairo?
0: And no. that's where I think we have differing opinions. I, I think the answer is yes, but not in the role that he's playing right now. I think the answer is yes, if he's on your second line. But if he's on your top line and you're asking him to be more than what right now, at least he's capable of being, then I think the but answer. that is no.
4: extends this window bigger than for Blues fans. Because if he's a second line winger, you planned and paid him to be your top line winger. Did you, though? I think you, like, if I, you give I, $8 million, I, you did.
0: See, I feel like that's the conversation that we're having with some of their defensemen. Like, is $6.5 million, is that a top-pair defenseman, or is that a second-pair defenseman? Because the Blues are paying four guys, that kind right. of Right, well, and one
4: guy is showing that he's underpaid for what he performs with, which is what I said when he signed that contract. The other three guys I'm looking at and saying, yeah, they're second-line defensemen, second-pair defensemen for you.
0: And I think $8 million is what you pay for what Jordan Kyrou is. And I, I think $11 million is what you're paying right now in the NHL for a legit no doubt about it top line winger
4: I think 11 million dollars is what you pay superstars and I think between but I think eight-
0: that's what a top line winger is I think if you're looking for a top line winger on a championship caliber team, you got a superstar. That's what they are,
4: right? I now. mean, I look at Vancouver with Brock Besser, and I don't think he's an $11 million player, but I think he's a guy that's going to be. But Elias Pettersson is.
0: The Elias Pettersson, I understand he's not a winger, but he is the superstar that the Blues do not currently have, and he's going to get the $11 bucks,
4: Right. But I think Thomas is Pettersson category. You're just not putting up the points right mm-hmm. now, but this is. I don't view him as uh, again, in the same category. I, I look at the compete problem here, and the the reason I get so frustrated with it is I look at the Philadelphia Flyers. And the Philadelphia Flyers are a team nobody expected to do anything, but the compete is there every single night. And if they lose, fine. But guess what? They lost because of comp- they lost because the other team outcompeted them. When the Blues lose, it's because, well, they just didn't want to play tonight, or they didn't play.
0: I also just feel like the they're in different places in their their life cycles as organizations. I think the Flyers are like on the come up. I think the expectation last year was that the Flyers would be co- doing this and the Blues would be doing this, and the Flyers didn't take that that step forward. They are now basically where the Vancouver Canucks are. They are the Eastern Conference version of Vancouver, where Vancouver last year was like, "Whoa, okay, is this all about to come crashing down to earth?" And then they got the right coach in there. It worked out. And Philly all offseason. I mean, we certainly know about this here in St. Louis, given what the trade conversations were. They were trying to trade the entire team, basically. And now it's it's clicked. It's working. And Travis Konechny is having this awesome season. And defensively, they have the right tools in
4: place. Like, it's but, all kind of coming but together. But that hasn't happened for the Blues yet. And that's my because concern. Because I don't think
0: they have the players. I think the difference is Philly had guys. When we looked at Philadelphia, Philadelphia's roster in the offseason, we are like, man, i like that guy and 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 that guy. But you're telling
4: guy. me you'd like me over Kairou?
0: No, not necessarily, but I think they have what the Blues used to be, which is the depth. I think the Blues have one line. Like if if another team's fan base was looking at the Blues roster right now, they'd say they're interested in trading for like three guys. Whereas we can look at the Flyers in the offseason and say, I want one of these seven or eight different dudes, four or five of which were forwards. And I think that's the difference between the two teams and where they're at right now. I don't think they have the superstar. And that's why I don't think they're contending for a championship in Philadelphia this year. But I do think they have the depth. Somebody on our text line said, guys, the Blues don't have the mentality of death by a million cups. And that's the way you ha- death by a million cuts. Excuse me. And that's the way you have to play if you don't have a superstar. Agreed. And I think that's what Philadelphia is doing. I don't think the blues have that. And I don't think they have the superstar. And when you're lacking both the depth and the superstar, this is the roster that you end up getting. And this is the results that you end up getting.
4: I think they got, I think they have the superstar, at least in Thomas. And I know I could be on a different planet with that, but I think Kairou, or I think Thomas is that superstar. I think they're lacking everywhere else. And I, the, the, the part that's so infuriating is you see it on certain nights where it's like, damn, this team could be good. The New York Rangers game when Cairo went off. Damn. OK, you can win with that. But then the Kairo in the first two periods last night, completely different.
0: Isn't that what it looks like, though? When you've got a guy that's not a superstar, but is pretty good and talented. Maybe has the uh, has and, the ability to take over in an individual game. And maybe
4: he's still young. And, I think and, he's
0: Carl Anthony Towns. And I don't know if you guys saw this the other night. Carl Anthony Towns scored 60 points for the Minnesota Timberwolves. 60 points. He was benched in the game. He was benched at the end of the game in crunch time because he didn't make winning plays. And I think that's Jordan Kyrie. I think Jordan Kyru is incredibly talented, and he's going to put up points. Even last night, he had a bad game for 45 minutes or so, but he ends up scoring the goal that helps you win the game. So I, I think that's where he is, personally.
4: I hope he is. I hope he's in the same trajectory as Robert Thomas was last year, but I'm now that we have, and in, in, I know he scored 30-plus goals in the last two seasons, but we've seen it in those two seasons also where he's in and out of games. I, now that it's the third straight year, I'm starting to get very skeptical of it, and I, that to me is what's hindering this team on top of a couple of contracts to where they're not, fe- you're feeling like you're just in the same spot running in maple syrup than going anywhere.
0: He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. T-Bone's a little under the weather today, so if if he, gets, if he gets a little testy, just understand, just go to break, you know. You un- understand oh, that he's he's a little frustrated, he's a little he's got the day quill going on in the system. Oh, dude, it's... I had that all last week. T-Bone. Oh, dude, it is a fogged brain. Like, I when I take Mucinex, there's no telling what I'm gonna be saying on the air, and and I think T-Bone's in that place right now. So, Did you take
4: Mucinex today, yeah, because what you said earlier was stupid. <laughs> Go to break, right? Keep it up
0: in 15 <laughs> minutes. We'll get into NFL quick hitters. We've got Mike McKenna joining us in studio coming up at the top of the 12 o'clock hour. But next, Anthony Stolzer said something interesting yesterday during the fast lane. I want to have our responses to what he asked. We'll get into it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: t I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So I was listening to the Fastland on my way home yesterday. Alex was getting ready to go to the doctor, and I hear Stalter come on the air, and he's big mad. He is furious about the St. Louis Cardinals. I get it. I think he is representative of a large portion of this Cardinals fan base. And frankly, you guys should be mad. Your team won 71 games last year. They stink, stank, stunk. We've talked about that ad nauseum, though. But Salter said something interesting and something that, frankly, I disagree with. And I, I told him this, and um, we could have a conversation about it. And I want to have a conversation with the two of you and certainly with our audience as well at 314-399-9646. He said it's not so much that he's he's mad about the Cardinals or anything in particular. He just wants to see him do something different. When the league is going one way, he wants them to go another. This is something that Bill Belichick used to be great at, guys. The league would go... Really big, and Belichick suddenly adds Wes Welker and Randy Moss, and they're just throwing the ball all over the yard. League's going small when this is the like the heart of the the Rams high flying offenses. Peyton Manning starting to get going. Everybody's going spread early in the 2000s. What do the Patriots do? They've got Vince Wilfork in the middle of their defense. They are going absolutely massive. They've just got big dudes Corey Dillon running the ball down your throat. It's game over. He wants the Cardinals to zig while everybody else zags. Alex, I would make an argument that they did. And I'm not telling you that it's a good one. I'm not telling you it's going to work. But the Cardinals zig this offseason while everybody else is zagging is that they're going for innings. The Cardinals are making it abundantly clear to anybody who will listen. Hey, our biggest issue last year is that our starters did not go deep enough. And I would think, Alex, this is something that actually probably plays well with our specific audience here in St. Louis, because how many times did we see on the text line last year? Hey, why aren't the Cardinal starters going deeper? Why aren't they allowing them to get deeper into the game? The truth was they would allow them to get deep into a game if they were capable of doing so. The Cardinal starters threw 100 pitches more than all, but I think it was two teams last year. The problem was they would throw 100 pitches in four innings. Because they weren't very good, they were not efficient. Jack Flaherty would be pushed out of the game in the fifth inning with 95 pitches. Miles Michaelis would get through five and two-thirds with 100 pitches. Uh, Jordan Montgomery was one of the guys that was pretty good at this. He'd get through six innings regularly. But they didn't have dudes that were getting deep because they were incapable of getting that deep into a game. I think that's the plan for this year. I think the stated goal is Lance Lynn is going to give us six. Kyle Gibson is going to give us six. Steven Matz is our five-inning guy. That's our fifth starter. Last year, you were getting fifth starters that were going two, three, maybe four innings on a regular basis. Miles Michaelis, his greatest value, even last year, was giving you innings. Sonny Gray, maybe not a guy that's going to give you 200 innings, but the hope is he could give you 160 to 180 this year. So I was listening to it, and all I could think was, man, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe this is a me problem. I think the Cardinals did zig this offseason while everybody else is zagging. The rest of the league is going shorter, 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 more, more velocity, more strikeouts. Get out of the game in five innings. Don't touch the third time through the order. All of these different things. And the Cardinals are saying, no, 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 no. We want innings. We want guys that are going to get deeper into games because that's going to help us get through the regular season with a fresher bullpen. And it will
4: prevent us from having to get to the underbelly of that pin. Am I misreading this, Alex? No, I think you're spot on. The real question is, do you trust it? And I, I don't because of the guys you're hoping can and give I you six innings. Fair. That's where, and I can understand the frustration from coming with stalls. Like we talked about it last week, T-Bone. The identity of this team is very clear. And they're backing that identity with the pitchers they went after. Offense is going to win them baseball games. They expect to put up five, six, seven runs on a nightly basis with the guys that they're putting out there every night. Which, if you're bringing in Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson to eat a lot of innings for you, you're going to have to put up those amount of runs. Now, Sonny Gray can keep it tight. Miles Michaelis, you hope, can keep it tight. And if Steven Matt stays healthy, he can keep it tight. But the issue is what happens when it combusts. What happens if the offense isn't there for you and you're relying on all of these innings? Well, if the offense isn't hitting for you or you're finding yourself, yeah, you're getting through six innings, but you're also giving up six or seven runs with Lance Lynn or Kyle Gibson on there, well, now things are a lot more different with what they're trying to accomplish. Sure, you can make it through the season without butchering your bullpen, But are you fighting an uphill battle all season because you're not putting those competitive innings out there? Like, that's the balance, I think, that we were all frustrated with. We wanted the innings. I wanted Aaron Nola. But I wanted the competitive innings to where the guy was going to give me six every night, but he also was going to keep the game less than two runs in those six innings.
5: Yeah, I think think they are zigging while everybody else is zagging because I, I look at the rest of the Major League Baseball. You know how many teams? I just went back and looked at this had three guys in the top 25 in terms of innings pitch last year, just two. And it was Toronto and it was Seattle. Everybody else did not go with that approach. Like we talk about the Atlanta Braves and how great a team they are. They had one guy cover 180 innings pitch last year, uh, and that was Spencer Strider. Elder had 174 and Morton had 163 in 30 starts, by the way. So he basically averaged five innings a start. I think the Cardinals are going—all of Major League Baseball is going swing and miss, which I do think the Cardinals added more of that to the rotation, which they had to do. But they're going five and dive, don't see the third time through the order. And they're also starting to push more towards a six-man rotation. Look at the L.A. Dodgers, for example, for that. The Cardinals aren't necessarily doing that. I, I think they are going more old school because they now have four of the top 25 guys in innings pitched. And they do have some swing and miss, like Lynn's got some. Gray's Gray's got the best stuff on the staff. Matt's has got some swing and miss stuff as well. But Michaelis and Gibson are not swing and miss guys. They are pitch to contact. And their goal this season is going to be, can we get a quality start out of our starters? Because that, that is how they're going to do it so they can shorten things for their bullpen. I, I think they're approaching it, and I'm, this is why I'm so fascinated to see if if this works for the Cardinals. I think they're doing this the complete opposite of what all of Major League Baseball is doing, which is basically the five-and-dive. It's why I was the one that was screaming for Blake Snell, because I just wanted stuff for five innings, and then you get them out and you go to your bullpen. The Cardinals are doing the opposite of that and feel like it's an innings deficit. And I I disagree with that. I don't think that's why they were bad last year, but I can understand where they're coming from, and I'm fascinated to see if it works.
0: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 980. Guys, I'm laughing at BK. Oh, because wow. what he says Congrats. is absolutely ludicrous. Capitalize it and spell it the way that the Raptors... Luda! Does the Cardinals didn't go after innings type of players because that's what they really want. They went after those guys because they're cheaper and they strike out. the strikeout guys cost more. They basically did what they always do. They go the cheaper route. They don't have some master plan that they believe they're outthinking everybody else. That may be true. And in fact, I think that was why they used to go after guys that didn't miss bats. I think they went that route because they weren't willing to spend on pitching the way that other teams were. And the undervalued, in their opinion, way to go about that was finding guys that don't have swing and miss. Because other teams are valuing that. And so they say, okay, you guys want that. We'll go get Chris Stratton. We'll go get all these guys that are on the scrap heap when it comes to their starting pitching market. And we'll make them play up because they're playing in our ballpark. And they're playing in front of our defense. And they're throwing to Yadier Molina. And it worked for almost 20 years. And then suddenly it no longer worked any longer. And for as much as we talk about Kyle Gibson not having swing and miss, his swing and miss was okay last year. As much as we talk about Lance Lynn not having swing and miss, he had more swings and misses last year by a percentage rate than Shohei Otani. So I I know that sounds crazy and it's like a a weird bonker stat, but it, it somehow is true. They actually found guys that do have a little bit of strikeout stuff now. Sonny Gray is great strikeout stuff. When you look at the innings though, and I think this is legitimately something they looked at. I, in fact, we know this is something they looked into, based on what they have done over the past two seasons. Miles Michaelis is fourth in Major League Baseball in innings pitched. Kyle Gibson is 16th. Lance Lynn is 42nd. Sonny Gray is 43rd. So four of your five starters rank in the top 45 over the last two seasons in innings pitched. Now, they not that may not sound like a ton, but now think about there are 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And you would think every team's got at least one of those guys, right? You have four of them. I would have to go through to find this, but I would imagine there's probably no other team in the sport that has more than three on that list. And so even if they fell into this back-ass words strategy it's clearly a strategy for them and we'll find out if it works I am highly skeptical I'm the guy that has come on you on here repeatedly and told you I'm with you T-Bone I think they have gone about this the exact wrong way because I would have signed one of Kyle Gibson or Lance Lynn I would have signed Sonny Gray and I think they are missing in a serious way that number two starter that has the swing and miss stuff even if it comes with 140 innings but to the question that was presented yesterday on the fast lane of, are the Cardinals trying something different? Are the Cardinals zigging while everybody else zags? I, I genuinely believe the answer to that is yes. I just don't think it's going to work. I think our problem is not about them doing something different. Our problem is about them doing something that might be wrong. It might be something that fails again, and that feels bad. And so it really comes down to, we want the Cardinals to be good. I don't really care how they're good. If they go about it with a bunch of different platoons and stuff, fine. If they go about it with a seven-man rotation, which has never been done before, cool. I don't care how they win. I care that they win. And right now, Cardinals fans are justifiably skeptical that this team is capable of winning.
5: And I, mean, and I think this inning strategy could work if you had that upside, too, that we're talking about. Because I just mentioned you had three teams last year that had... Top 25 guys in innings pitch. Well, Seattle, who do they have? They have George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. Guys that have legitimate swing and miss stuff and Luis Castillo as well. Like, that's an awesome one two three combo. And then you look at Minnesota. You got Jose Barrios that's in that uh, – or not Minnesota, excuse me, Toronto. Jose Barrios that's in that conversation. Chris Bassett. Like, those are one twos when I think about it. And then I look at what the Cardinal strategy is, and I think, okay, sure, four guys that eat innings – but I just see Sonny Gray, that's the guy that is like, hey, that's the number one. Okay, well, now who's the two? Because to me, the rest of it is just number threes that are eating endings in the best-case scenario.
4: And the problem is if this does fail – it fails to the point that you can't come back from it.
5: Yeah. Cause they're not willing to make the big move at the top, And line. they don't
4: have this is that is my type biggest of, critique. I'm totally with, they you. don't have the stuff in the minors that can fill those voids. That's yeah. their biggest problem. They guilt. They built, we talked so much about the backup plans on the offense of the position player side. They built zero backup plan for their pitching. And the, and the backup plan would have
0: been there if you needed a fifth starter. And that's always been my critique is like, You have guys that would be capable of giving you fifth starter stuff, right? You could go back to Matthew Libertor. It didn't work last year, but that was because you were asking him to be like a number three starter at certain points of the season. You could go back to Zach Thompson. I think it would be more than fine if that was the case. You could eventually have TK Roby ready. Maybe Michael McGreevy's ready. Maybe Gordon Graceffo's ready. Like, you've got guys that could reasonably be considered for that role. But instead, you wanted certainty on the back end. And so you pushed down the road the upside for the front end, and it's harder to acquire. That's where you have to give up big time capital at the deadline for a number one or a number two starter. And there's just nothing in their history to suggest they're gonna do that. And I was the guy all off season, go, heading into the off season, that said, Yeah, but Alex, that was last time. This is this time. It'll be different. Now they lost ninety games.
4: Yeah, I fell for that before. It was two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> Guys, it, it wasn't different. They did the same stuff that they
0: always do because this is the Cardinals. They operate a certain way. They have the Cardinal way. Clearly, they have shown you every reason to believe they're not deviating away from that this offseason. So why would I believe they're going to go out there at the deadline? If they surprise me, great. I would love to be wrong. But why would I believe they're going to go out there at the deadline and acquire a front end starting pitcher when it's something they quite literally have not done in 20 years? I, I have no reason to believe it. So I, I am skeptical of the way they're going about it. The other thing that I'm skeptical about and growing more skeptical by the day is their relief pitching uh, edition that's coming. Guys, yesterday, Matt Moore signed a $9 million one one-year contract with the LA Angels. I like Matt Moore. I think he's a good pitcher. He was projected to get like $5 million or less by most different places. If that is the current market, the going rate for guys like him, aging veterans that could help you at the you know 7th inning or so. Uh I don't think the Cardinals are going to add another reliever. No. I not, think if, not one that you're going yeah. to care about as a fan.
4: I think if they do it's going to be right before spring training starts and they say, "Oh, he's still available. He wants to come play in St. Louis for less than a million dollars." Come on
5: down. Yeah, the the Trevor best Roosevelt. odds. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, God. he's making a comeback. Uh the no. the odds are that when when they make that town signing announcement Not only you, the fans, will go, Who is that? The three of us in this room will go, Who is that? And then we'll have to look into it to understand it more.
0: Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into questions and answers. But next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including a power struggle that was won by the general manager in Tennessee. Is this going to pay off for him? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN.
0: All right. To put, put a bow on the conversation we were just having in the last segment about the Cardinals going for innings, Alex, I mentioned how the Cardinals have four pitchers in their rotation this year that have pitched at least 300 innings over the past two seasons. That means four pitchers that are in the top 45 in all of Major League Baseball in innings pitched since the start of the 2022 season. There is no other team that can currently claim four such pitchers in their rotation. The other teams that have three are Houston, Philly, Toronto, and Seattle. Those are the four other teams that have three starters over the last two years that have thrown at least 300 innings teams that have two of them, multiple such starters. Arizona, Minnesota, Kansas City, Boston, Texas, and Washington. Yikes. Um so it it is rare man to have these kinds of innings eaters in your rotation heading into a season. Now I would say that when you look at Houston, Philly, Toronto, and Seattle there's a little bit different in terms of the quality at the front end of the, their rotation than yeah, what the Cardinals think. have, but if you're just looking purely at innings, the Cardinals are in a class of their own. Heading into the 2024 right. season,
4: so say what you will about the plan. If you think it'll work or not, well, you just—it's rump- definitely
0: different. You just
4: Rumple still skin <laughs> the hell out of that thing, spun that yarn into gold. There,
0: BK. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Alex, it was announced earlier today that the Tennessee Titans are promoting Ran Carthon, their general manager, to executive vice
4: president. Oh, is his new role that's smart when things are going well in their organization, you promote within. He is going to basically have say over.
0: Everything, everything that takes place within their organization, roster control, team activities, personnel decisions, free agency acquisitions, coaching staff will report to him, Uh, scouting, sports medicine, player engagement. Everything is going to be underneath the umbrella of Rand Carthon, which means he won the power struggle. Attaboy. Over the past few years, we've all seen the stories that have been coming out of Tennessee. The Titans have had a power struggle between Mike Vrabel and the general manager. First, it was John Robinson. Vrabel won the Game of Thrones there. And then it was Rand Carthon, who came over from the San Francisco 49ers to be their GM. And it sounds like Rand is now the man that has been able to win this power struggle. Alex, do you think this is going to work for them? No, I don't.
4: I with Ran Carthon and Brian Callahan. at the helm. I, I think Ran the man is not the guy you want to bring in in this situation. I, I, Where Tennessee is at, I think you need an outside voice. I think you need somebody that was not within the organization to come in and look at it and say, this needs to be fixed. Because I think when you have the internal options, I think that not put puts a bias thing, but sits there and says like, well, there was a certain way this was being done and we'll continue that way. Tennessee is one of those teams that needs a full-blown change. And I would have done something from the outside, especially in the spot of overseeing everything with that roster.
5: I think it will be slightly better. I I don't know if they're going to end up like building a great team in Tennessee, but at least they now don't have the power struggle between coach and GM. And that is the thing that you see, like when we've seen organizations go through this, it just becomes a nightmare. And I think back to the end of the Harbaugh era in San Francisco, yeah. that was a disaster. Um, So I now that they finally have gotten the Game of Thrones battle done, at least there is a structure. And you've got the GM that is running the football operations. And he's got a first-time head coach that he brought in that he wanted to be kind of running things with. I think the I think the balance is better now. I don't know if they'll build a great team, but I think there's more structure, and that's what they needed. Remember when we talked to the
0: Canucks beat writer, Alex, and he was talking about how you've got to have alignment, alignment between ownership, general manager, and coach. I think you at least have the potential for that now in Tennessee. And previously, it was totally out of line. You had Vrabel who wanted to do one thing, Carthon slash... Uh, John Robinson, who wanted to do another maybe ownership. It was in the midst of kind of the changing of the guard ownership wise there. Um, And maybe they wanted to do something different. You just had differing opinions on seemingly every move that was taking place with Tennessee, whether or not they should continue running it back with Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. And then the A.J. Brown thing happens. And so. I do think it has the potential to be something better, but, man, they are going through a legitimate rebuild right now, and it is not going to be easy to get out of this unless they get the quarterback right, and then it comes down to Will Levis. All right, next thing up here. Uh, There is a a bunch of talk. I don't know how this has happened, but Russell Wilson is the prime topic of conversation right now in NFL circles. Peter King went on a radio show in Pittsburgh yesterday and said, quote, I would not rule out Russell Wilson in Pittsburgh. I think Mike Tomlin would like to have a veteran quarterback. Then earlier today over on ESPN.com, Jeremy Fowler wrote, he's a great insider for ESPN, that Russell Wilson could end up with the Las Vegas Raiders as their new quarterback, according to an NFC executive. Alex,
4: do you think that Russell Wilson is going to be a hot commodity <laughs> this offseason? No, I, I think he's going to be a commodity. I don't think he's going to be a hot commodity. I actually like the idea of Pittsburgh with Mike Tomlin. I don't know if it's going to work because frankly, I just don't think Russell Wilson's good anymore, but what does Mike Tomlin want to do? He wants to bring in competition with the quarterbacks that they have and Pittsburgh's not going anywhere with the quarterbacks that they have. They're not drafting anything anytime soon. So you're going to have to deal with what you can until you either have a bad season or somebody comes available to free agency I don't mind the idea of Russell Wilson. I don't think it's going to be good. Vegas seems like it would be a disaster. I don't know what they should do, but Antonio Pierce doesn't seem like the type of coach that's going to get the best out of Russell Wilson. So I don't think he's going to be a hot commodity. I think you're going to have a couple of teams that know they're a couple of games above 500 just trying to be a playoff team and they'll go go be aggressive for Russell Wilson, but that'll be it.
5: I think he'll be a hot commodity. He reminds me a lot of what Derek Carr was last year, where Carr got cut by the Raiders and a lot of teams were like, hey, that was just a bad situation. He he can still play. He's a good quarterback. And as we learned this year, no, he's he's bad. Um, I, I think it's a lot like that, to where a lot of teams will look at Russell Wilson and go, yeah, he, he kind of had the down years in Seattle. And then the Denver thing, like, he's not that bad because it was the situation. He had Hackett as his head coach, and then Sean Payton never really liked him, so he never really built an offense around him. So, I think a lot of teams are going to go after him thinking they can fix him considering his past, and I think Pittsburgh makes a ton of sense Mm -hmm. because I think they can get, I mean, they got to the playoffs this year with their three quarterbacks. I think they can be even better with Russell Wilson because I don't think he's a difference maker anymore, but I know he's a guy that's going to at least take care of the football, play smart, and with that defense, they can go on maybe like win a playoff game. To me, Russ,
0: Baker, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, these guys are all the same. You're not winning anything meaningful with them as your quarterback, but at least you have somebody. Like you know they're capable and you can evaluate the rest of your talent on your roster with them as the quarterback. It worked out this year for Tampa Bay, right? They they were the one that hit the lottery. The other teams that signed last year's poo-poo platter of quarterbacks with Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo, they're looking back saying, oof, that didn't go so well for us. But for The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, it kind of worked. They got a pretty decent year out of Baker Mayfield. They went to the playoffs. They won a playoff game. I think the same could be true for what you're expecting next year out of uh, Russell Wilson, but the ceiling on it is just so incredibly limited. I would rather just go take a quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. There's a bunch of quarterbacks that are super interesting. I would just rather go that path. Alongside Alex and T-Bone I'm BK. Coming up here in just a little bit we'll have Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie in studio with us. I want to ask him uh, about a conversation we were having yesterday, Alex. Goalies don't seem to be overly valued on the trade market. Why is that in Mike McKenna's mind? We'll talk about that with him and get his thoughts on the Blues as well certainly coming up in just a little bit. But next question Questions and answers here on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
0: nine six four six is the air comfort service x line for questions and answers from the three one four guys what kind of game plan do you think it'll take from the chiefs in order to beat the ravens on sunday alex do you think the chiefs have much of a chance in this game i I, we haven't really started projecting forward into the championship weekend much where are Uh, you at on this afc
4: championship i think the chiefs always have a chance i never think you can yeah brother Okay, shut the hell up. Let's um, go, Ravens. I, I, I think anytime you've got Reed and Mahomes, you've always got a chance. Now, with that being said, I don't think it's going to be pretty for the Chiefs, and I do think the Ravens win this one. Um, the game plan is I, – I think the game plan is going to have to be air it out because I don't think you're running the ball with that rush defense that they have. But I also don't think you're going to be able to air it out. Like I saw a lot of people talking about like Kyle Hamilton. Hamilton is going to be glued to Travis Kelsey. He is so good.
0: So they're going to have to have I cannot believe the NFL allowed him to drop to the Ravens. He's such a Ravens player. God, I'm so annoyed. The Chiefs should have drafted He's him instead player of player in that stupid draft. Yeah,
4: The Chiefs should have drafted him instead of the trash that they drafted that year. He went way ahead of where they selected. Maybe he should have traded up. Keep on everything everything about <laughs> trading up Chiefs and not just stay where you are. Good point. Yeah, uh, so I, you're going to have to probably win this from defense and special teams because i don't think you're off i think offense is going to cancel each other out
5: yeah i I think defensively you just have to find a way to contain lamar because he ran for 100 yards in that Texans game. i think you can beat i think the chiefs defense if they contain lamar i don't think baltimore is going to be able to put up a ton of points and i think this is going to have to be a low scoring affair Offensively, I know you said, like, air it out. I, I'd be terrified to air it out. I saw how that went for C.J. Stroud. I think you got to establish the run with Pacheco, and then that can just set everything else up for Patrick Holmes, Travis Kelsey, and uh, Rice.
4: I don't think you're going to be able to run it with
0: them. So though. I actually think that is the game plan, is running it. Huh. The Ravens are 25th in the league in yards per attempt allowed. Now, the reason why people don't run for a ton of yards against them is because they get down. And yep. so you, you – can't run when you're down by as much as teams typically are against the Ravens. But you look at some of their games this year; like they've been a little more leaky against the run than I would expect. Because Alex, that was my initial impression going into this one as well. Before I like, really started looking into it, they didn't it. give up,
4: up much to anything to Houston, though, in the running
0: game. Right, but Houston's yeah, not Devin a great Segal running team. Uh, they had uh, Pitt- had them on Pittsburgh ran for a buck fifty-five against them. I understand that was the backups, but go the week prior, Min- uh, the Miami Dolphins ran for a buck fifty-five against them. The Rams ran for a hundred and thirty against them. The Bengals and the Browns both ran for a hundred and thirty plus against them the Cardinals the Titans the Colts all ran for at least 130 yards this year against the Baltimore Ravens I think that's the game plan I think you got to keep it on the ground and the biggest thing and I know this is the case for all games but especially against that Ravens defense you cannot turn the ball over the Ravens defense turns it over as well as anybody in the league. And this year, there were only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in which they did not have multiple takeaways and only four games when they did not have a takeaway in the game. So I think that's the biggest thing. Run the ball, play, keep away, try to have long, sustained drives. It's going to be hard because I do think you're right, Alex. I think they're going to try to take away Travis Kelsey with Kyle Hamilton, and that is going to be a really tough matchup for Kelsey to be able to win at this stage of his career. You need Rasheed Rice to step up. You need Isaiah Pacheco to step up. You probably need one other ancillary pass catcher. Nicole Hardman, ladies up. and gentlemen. You try not to reach for
4: that first down. I
0: think him or MVS are probably the guys that you need no to step KT, up. No KT, huh? Nope.
5: Yeah. I, I thought MVS played did. pretty well uh, last game. So, he had a great I, game. I thought he was great. Um, I, the other thing, too, and I don't think this hurt them in Buffalo, but it's what at least kept that Miami game closer than it probably should have been, and it's what it cost the Rams in their playoff game is you got to convert in the red zone can't be settling for field goals once you get because i don't think you're going to get there very often against this baltimore defense when you do get there you got to punch it into the end zone
0: uh 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers just a couple more quickies before we get to mike mckenna former nhl goalie will be joining us in studio uh from the 314 guys in your opinion take it or leave it will jordan bennington finish his
4: career with the blues alex No, I don't think he does. Um, and I hate saying that, but I, I think once you I think his modified, I think his no trade becomes a modified, no trade in two years. I think in the final couple of years of that deal, you'll be looking at Joel Hofer ready to take over. And I think Bennington's going to want to still compete. And if Joel Hofer is getting more net time, I think that's when you see an opportunity to move on. So, no, I don't think so. Do
5: I, I'm going to say no just because it's a cap league and it is so hard for a guy to finish his career with one team. And and maybe he signs away and then comes back, but I, I think that when this deal is up, he could still get a deal somewhere else. Maybe the Blues are ready to move on. Maybe mm-hmm. they're not. But there's, what, like two guys in the NHL that have had 15-plus year careers with their one team? Yeah, I mean, I... The only guys that I could Ovechkin, say will Crosby. Yeah.
4: The only guys, the only goalies that I'll say will probably finish their career with their teams would be Connor Hellebuck or Andre Vasilevsky. We'll I mean, the, I mean, go ahead. We'll ask this question
0: of oh, the former, an NHL actual goalie Mike McKenna, when he joins us in studio coming up next year on BK and
1: Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Happy to be joined in studio by a former NHL goalie. He's Mike McKenna, a friend of the show. We always enjoy being able to catch up with him. Mike,
2: how you doing, man? Hey, thanks, BK. Great to hear your voice. Nice to be in studio. I'm doing really well. And... Woke up to some good news this morning that my daughter was happy because she went to bed before the Blues finished their game against Calgary.
4: Sure. Oh. And
2: uh, she woke up, watched some highlights, and was real happy this morning, guys. Yeah.
4: That's smart. I thought she would have stayed up for it all. But it's smarter to go to bed and wake up happy than stay up and go to bed upset.
2: At 10 years old, yeah. that yeah. kid needs the sleep. Yes.
4: Yeah, She's sure. got
2: practice tonight, guys. She needs the energy. Yeah, a little goalie, right? <laughs> yeah. Take it after dad. Yeah, it um, it was not encouraged. I can promise you that. And my wife is really angry about this. She had to deal with me long enough. Um, but the fun part to it is it's something we're really starting to bond over and learn how to yeah. work together. You know, it, that that parent kid relationship isn't always easy mm-hmm. in coaching. Um, but she's really taken to it, and she she loves it. Like I've, she's watching NHL clips on her own and, awesome. and really. Excited to watch the Blues play, and that's only been in the last year. And again, it's not something that we're we forced. It's just How's the a, she's butterf-
4: discovered. It. How's the butterfly stance?
2: Good, um, good butterfly. She's really been working on her power pushes, and now her post integrations. Uh, we're gonna phase in puck handling in the next one. But <laughs> no, man, it's dude, it's just so fun. Like, regular, pa-
4: regular Patrick Waugh. <Yeah. laughs>
2: new head coach of the New York Islanders. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. So let's start with the game last night. Um, When you were, I'm sure you in your career have been parts of games like that where you just don't show up for the first 40 minutes and you find a way to squeak it out. Mm -hmm. You've also been on the coaching side of things where I'm sure you've seen a team where you're like, okay, we played horrible hockey for 40 minutes, but we found a way to pull it out. When you have a game like that, how do you treat it the next day?
2: Well, you wake up and you're happy you won. You walk in the locker room after you won, but you also know you kind of pulled a fast one. Because even though the Blues won with, what, 48 seconds left in the game was when the game-winner mm-hmm. went in from sod, they know that their output for the full 60 wasn't what it needed to be. But you can also look at that game with some caveats to it that, boy, you hate excuses in the sports world. But it is your first game of mountain time. You're moving out west, sort of a road trip, right? It's These games happen. Right, and finding a way to win, I think, is different for the Blues than it is for other NHL teams at this stage, because they want at least a dozen games this season before they came from behind to win. Basically, yeah. you know, yeah. and and this is still only the second time this season in 20 games that they've been down going into third period that they've won a game, so. It, it, there's a little bit of both here for the Blues. Um, for myself personally, I'd just be mad that our team didn't play well for full 60. But when you look at big picture, man, they came back, they stayed in the game, even when they got down 3-1. to one. And, and in the second period, that was after a pretty big penalty kill. Yep. Like I thought they were going to get some juice off the, the kill of the Sunquist penalty. And Calgary scores twice right after that. Because um,
0: that's when Calgary's momentum started, was mm-hmm. after their penalty kill, and then it started going for them. And you thought, okay, maybe this will flip back the other direction, and it
2: didn't. It, it didn't. And I mean, Bennington was outstanding. Markstrom made great saves early in the game too. I mean, I'm watching this from a goalie perspective, going, "Wow, this is this is this is pretty loose hockey." Oh, i yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm having fun watching the goalies. <laughs> um, and and then it, it, it kind of started to, to tip towards the Blues. And you could feel like it just a little shot of momentum got them going, and, and it just. Whether it was, I mean, I think Shen, even if he hadn't scored on his breakaway, just having that shorthanded opportunity yeah. kind of gave him some life. And when the puck goes in, it it, it changes everything, right?
4: So, so you've seen, I mean, you've been watching this team all season long. You've been on the call with Curbs for plenty of them. I've seen you at Enterprise Center, Mike. Do you feel any different about this group under Drew Bannister compared to what they were under
2: Craig Berube? I do, yeah. And, and man, it's it's hard to say because... Craig Berube was, he's as good a coach as you're going to find. Right, um, And I've spoken to this before. It it felt like that tenure had run out with this group. Um, the difference I see with Bannister is there does seem to be um, a little less panic to the team when they get down. The, the losses don't turn into 5-0. Um, they still turn into 3-1 or 3-2, or they now do have a chance to come back mm-hmm. so I think they have a bit more resilience under him I think it's been built through structure as well they are playing to me a consistently more direct game you know they they don't retreat as often they're moving forward and do I feel as good about them as a team hey the blues are still missing the top end talent of some of the other teams in the league but when they play hard and when it's consistent through the lineup, they can beat any team. I mean, they knocked off Vancouver less than, you know, three weeks ago. Yep. Two they're facing this evening. That's a top team in the league. If they can play hard and shut down top lines, keep tight gaps in the neutral zone, they can play against anybody.
4: That seems to be the infuriating part for me. And I I get it. It's a retool. It's the roller coaster of a season. But when you see the team play like they did against Vancouver, when you see the way that the team played against the Vegas Golden Knights earlier this season, and you're thinking, okay, this team, if they do this every single night, you're talking about a team that's pushing for a playoff spot. But you got the first two periods last night that felt like, yeah, they're probably not as invested in as you think. And then the third period just took off.
2: Is that just what retool teams look like? It can be, you know, until you start to build that consistent culture. And and frankly, until you have the talent in place to make that happen. It comes through depth, guys, you know, and that's the hard part for the Blues, I think, is that they've got a lot of really good players. They have a good lineup. It's not a great lineup right now. They can overachieve. You've seen that. But the great teams have that depth scoring and that depth detail, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, let, and let's the real realistic look for me at this is that had Jacob Vrana and Sammy Ka- and Kapanen come in and really put points up, yep,
4: yeah, this team would that's look a lot different, yeah.
2: right? And 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 they were both reclamation projects in a lot of ways, right? You know, you're coming off of waivers, and and I think Kapanen's done a good job um defensively at least, yeah. and he's chipped in,
4: but but he has four goals in 42 is, games. That's yeah.
2: what it comes down. You've to gone the from UK. the fourth
4: liner to the top
2: liner. That's right. So. There's a lag to all, every player that we've seen in World Juniors this year that was so good showing up in this lineup, and it is a bit of a holding pattern, but there have been really, really positive steps taken by this team in the recent weeks, and especially since Bannister's taken over.
0: Those guys that you just mentioned, the the reclamation projects that they took on last year, Kapanen, Verana, and Belay, they have a combined seven goals this year yeah. for the St. Louis Blues, and you look like... At what they did last year, Yacou had 10 goals in 20 games. Right. So what's the difference? Where, where did the lack of scoring come from? Well, they thought they were going to get one thing from these guys, and they ended up being something completely different. And when you look at the lineup, this is what we were talking about earlier, Alex. And I, it's kind of my, my perspective is a little different on it, where I, I'm kind of where you said, I, I just don't know that they have the talent to be like a top-end talent. Mm-hmm. And when you top-end team, rather, and when you are in the midst of a retool, it can sometimes be really frustrating where night in, night out, you're not getting the same effort and you feel like, why aren't they getting more from Thomas, Kyrou, and Buchnevich? And if they had that depth of scoring, you might not even notice that they're not getting that on any given night from Thomas, Kyrun and because you're just getting the depth of scoring, <laughs> and it it feels so much more important. Where when those guys aren't scoring right now, it's like oh well, they don't have a chance to win. Yeah, they, no. they can't win when those guys aren't
2: scoring. Yeah, I'm I'm really in the same boat with you here, BK. I think that's that's a really accurate assessment of the club. But I mean, again, too, we we talked about the forwards a lot. Like, look at what's going on on the back end and how well Pareko and Letty have played for this team, yeah. right? Like Pareko's been awesome, man. Like I, I'm. You look Is this at the it, best you've seen him with the Blues? If it's not the best, it's it's there. Um, and I think that there's a perennial frustration that he's not going to turn into a Victor Hedman 70 <laughs> points a year guy. Like, it's just not his... What it's going to be, or but. turn
4: into Chris Pronger and cross-check people yeah. in the back yeah. of the net. None of those he two was were mad happening the other night. Yeah, yeah, he was. He
2: was, was chawed <laughs> I couldn't believe he it. Said, was like, Who is that? <laughs> he said, "Get the f he out said here the to f somebody." Word. He did. I, I mean, I, I, I now I,
4: the camera didn't show it. Maybe he apologized afterwards. That's Colton Pareko.
2: <laughs> but at least he said it. <laughs> yeah, man, he's invested. But you know, you look at those two. I think they're plus. You know, they're like plus dozen fourteen combined between Letty and Pareko on a team that half the team's minus guys yeah. by a decent clip. You know, and. Um, you're trying to find responsible players, man. Like those two have done really well for the team. Um, I've been impressed with them. And I, guys, the goaltending has just been rock solid, man. Like especially these last couple starts for Bennington, he's five one one his last seven guys. Yeah. Like and and just patient, letting the puck come to him. He's in the blue paint. He's not chasing the game as often. He's been just mentally laser focused this year. It's been a great step. Is that
4: the reason and I know we're still a little bit away from trade deadline but once you exit out of that all-star break that's when everybody starts talking about it is your goaltending the reason why if you're Doug Armstrong you say look we're only a couple of points out of this maybe we're not going to sell but we're not buying let's just stand pat and see what this team can do.
2: Uh, I I think you need to be smart about this if you're Doug Armstrong. I mean the team yeah you wake up this morning and suddenly you're a couple points out of a wild card spot. Blues are probably going to be hovering around that wild card all year long. Mm -hmm. And, man, it would be amazing for them to be able to make their way in. It's doable. It can happen. You're not going to add pieces to make that happen. You can't buy your way to a playoff appearance when you really don't have the horses. So you've got to be really judicious in what you do if you're Doug Armstrong here. And I think, I mean, are there pieces that can be moved with this lineup that would make a difference, that would result in a good return? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, frankly, you know, Kevin Hayes, we're just you know, that's a guy who's got some value on the market, right? Especially what his cap hit would be. Um, There's others I think that you look at. But if I'm Armstrong and I'm looking at my goalie core, I think Joel Hofer and the detail to his game and his trajectory has made Jordan Binnington a better goaltender. I think that we tend to emulate our goalie partners at times. Mm -hmm. And Hofer's very in control. He's very crisp in his movements. Um, Past goalie partners for Binnington. Right, Jake Allen was like that. He mm-hmm. was pretty crisp in what he did. Thomas Kreis, all over the place. Okay, um, Chad Johnson. Remember that one? Yeah, I okay. do remember that one. You know what I mean? Like, and that's those guys are all better than I was by a long shot. But I really think that when you're looking at the other person at the other end, like a Hofer who's who's so mechanically detailed, and you see what that success is in a, a really modern goaltender, I, I think it pays off because to me, again, it comes down to control in your game. When Bennington has his feet set and he tracks the puck. He is phenomenal. You look at his hands. The glove saves. He Mm -hmm. had a couple glove saves last night. He tracks the puck as well as anyone. So when his feet are set and he's ready for it, that makes a difference. I would want to keep both of these guys. I would not want to move either goaltender at this stage.
0: We're talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, here on 101 ESPN for just another couple of minutes. I I do want to continue with that thread because we get a lot of texts, as you could probably imagine, about – Hey, do you trade Jordan Bennington? If you could get a haul in return for him at the deadline, is that something that you would at least consider if you're Doug Armstrong? You clearly are on the no side of that. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you an, an amended part of that question. We talked about this a bit yesterday, and we looked into some of the recent goalie trades. There's not a ton of them, and even when there are, you don't get as much in return as what you'd expect. Why is that? When you think about what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, you need the goalie to perform, and yet teams don't seem to value it on the trade market the way that they do a defenseman or a forward. Why, why is that?
2: Well, that's because there hasn't been many goaltenders that have come up, not within an organization and won a Stanley Cup. How many teams have traded for a goalie to win a Stanley Cup? Interesting. It's been rare. Um, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights last season had Aiden Hill, who they traded for during the off season, who did a good job for them. So did Logan Thompson. So did Laurent Prosois. So did, you know, like yeah. they had a whole platoon on, behind a team there that worked. Historically, you've had to develop goaltending from within because they hit their prime, mid-20s, late-20s. You have their best years. You don't have to overpay for them. And I think teams have caught on to that, that it's not worth a first-round pick for a goaltender that you may not re-sign. So or it's if like they running have backs in turn- the NFL. Yeah, or if they have term, what what are they going to be like towards the end of that contract? And you're stuck with it. You have a more sure bet being able to do it within. And that's where, guys, if this was Joel Hofer's second or third year in the NHL down the road, boy, I'd entertain that thought process of of moving Bennington if that was the case. But right now, I think those two are so good for each other. You're also looking at Hofer's future here. Having Bennington around, having a support case there as well for him— is good. I wouldn't want him to be out there on his own playing two thirds, three quarters a game. So
4: maybe I'm forgetting somebody. But other than Washington, so Colorado with Darcy Kemper was the other goaltender that they acquired Another in the offseason. Yeah. But other than those two, and I mean Vegas, you're you're absolutely spot on. Like the other two guys you just yeah. mentioned were a part of that organization from the start, and
2: it's an expansion team too.
4: But so. I'm going back to 2010. Like the three, the Blackhawks one was either Antti Niemi or Corey Crawford. Jonathan Quick. Boston Bruins had Tim Thomas. Pittsburgh had. Fleur Murray and Matt Murray, Washington, they're all in house. Other than the last two seasons, which, I mean, you could argue a lot of that was because of the play in front of the goaltender because Mm -hmm. both Darcy Kemper and Aide Hill were good, but they weren't shut down goaltenders.
2: And what this comes down to is on top of the performance of the goaltender, it's also the salary cap of it, right? You know, I mean, you don't want to bring in a goalie that's going to cost you a ton and give up assets to do that. You know, I mean, uh, John Gibson. Couldn't, Gibbs I, couldn't I make million. the
0: argument, just to play a devil's advocate, that teams should be more willing to do this? Like maybe, maybe this is almost the tail wagging the dog. Is because teams don't trade for the great goalies, because they don't become available, because they don't trade those assets, you don't see but, Edmonton or Toronto, etc. But the, the times
4: cup. that we've seen goalies get traded, and I brought it up last yesterday, Brian Miller, typically when the goalies get traded in season, you don't see success from that team because either the
2: goalie falls apart or the team falls apart in front of them. It takes about a month as a goalie when you've been traded to get used to your new surroundings. Interesting, From my perspective, sure. having been traded. and. That's too late sometimes. And, you know, the trade deadline thing for goalies, I do think... Now, because I think you might be onto this a little bit, though, that teams should be more willing in that those mid-level contract goaltenders is who should be mined out. It shouldn't be trading for Connor Hellebuck at the trade deadline. Sure. You should be looking for an Aiden Hill or an undervalued goaltender previously Kemper Kemper, that can get the job done because now the delta between the best goalie and the worst goalie in the league is so small. Mm -hmm. It really is, guys. Like, goalies are better than they've ever been. That in-season, it's tough. But off-season making the right deal is totally viable. You bring a goalie in to start the year, you think and win a cup, you're in business. But to do it mid-season, for me, that's, that's a... Big-time roll of the dice.
0: Final question that I wanted to get from you, and thanks for the time, as always. Talking to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie here on BK and Ferrario. When you look at the Western Conference right now, you mentioned you think that the Blues can be in contention. Mm -hmm. They can be in that maybe fighting for a final wild-card spot. Is the Western Conference worse than you expected it to be? Not at the top, but at least in that middle, where there's not really teams that seem to be pulling the way that, at least the way that we thought, maybe.
2: It's hard to... I don't think it's worse. I just... I find there's there's a lot of murky middle here where all of these teams are kind of in the same stage. They don't know who they are. Hmm. What's your identity? What's Nashville's identity? What's Arizona? What's even Seattle and Calgary? You know, when you think of those teams... How do you define them? Calgary, no clue. You guys saw it last night. Listen, <laughs> Bass, man, they're the <laughs> blues of last year. Dude, they are. They're all over the place, and they have been for a while. And the blues, yeah, yeah, they're retooling. They do some things pretty well. Arizona, hey, they're still a little bit young, mm-hmm. and and they're they're getting some great goaltending that's buoyed them from Connor Ingram. Um, Nashville, man, they cleaned house to change culture. Yeah. That's actually now that's actually a team that I'd be kind of worried about is Nashville because they jettisoned off Matt Duchene and Johansson, who are both two of their top centers, and they're better now. Mm-hmm. They did addition by subtraction. So the West, to me, isn't as strong this year. Um, I don't think that the Pacific Division especially is what it used to be, even though Edmonton's scary. 14th Street. Yeah. Holy <laughs> cow! They, they like,
4: well, <laughs> looking at their schedule in January, I don't think they lose again in the month of January. They, they <laughs> might not. yeah.
2: And, and But I mean strength of schedule matters. I mean the blues just got through a really tough portion yeah, here and managed to stay afloat. To okay. Yeah. So um I think the West is isn't as strong, but I still think once it doesn't matter, guys, really. Like no. the top teams are the are yeah. the ones you're really yeah. worried about. Yeah.
0: He's Mike McKenna. Always appreciate him hopping in studio with us. Mike, thanks for so much for stopping by, man. This has uh, been fantastic. Hey,
2: you guys know I love it. It's great to talk to you. Always to love Hawk and talk, or Mike talking and hockey.
0: You hear him occasionally on the Blues broadcast with uh, Chris Kerber. Do you have another one coming up? Do you know? Is there any Blues games that we can expect you on soon?
2: Nah, not that I know of, but I do know that our friend Cam Jansen is going to be out for, uh, I think, at least tonight's game in Vancouver. I'm guessing the rest of this road trip. Yeah. And he did a great job the other night filling in for Joey as well. His energy is set. Sac- Second to none, as we all know. That's good old Eureka-born Cam Jansen yeah, for you. Right, right, baby. <laughs> Mike McKenna, one of the best uh, in the
0: business. You can follow him on Twitter, by the way, to follow along with everything that he's doing. At Mike McKenna, M-C-K-E-N-N-A-5-6. That's at Mike McKenna, 56. Thanks again, man. Appreciate you, you hopping it, on with us today. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely here on 101
1: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. 399-9646
0: 399-9646 is the Air Comfort service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on BK and Ferrario. Guys, more likely to be representing their respective conference in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs or the Lions? Both teams are underdogs this weekend. Both teams on the road. Lions a seven-point underdog in San Francisco. Chiefs a three-and-a-half-point underdog
4: in Baltimore. I want to stick to what I've been saying. I think it's more likely the Lions are there. I I like the Lions. I think they're playing with house money right now. I think they're playing very well. I think they're a tough opponent to go up against. And I ride the wave that is momentum. And right now I think they have it. And I'm not sure the 49ers do. So I'm going to stick with Detroit. They're my team.
5: I feel like I'm being forced to say Kansas city here because that's the other reason I, I didn't say it. <laughs> I know, but I, I at least want to be right. Um, Whoa. I want to be right. When we look that's, back on this, I'm not saying you're wrong. I can see Detroit gets a winning stuffy
4: nose in here. They get
5: pissy. You know what? It's a man pulled, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, I, the reason I, I say the chiefs is because they've got a defense that they can rely on. Like even if Mahomes struggles against Baltimore, their defense can keep them in the game, or they just find a way to win, but I don't trust Brock Purdy. And that's why like, I can totally see Detroit winning. I wasn't saying, you were wrong the problem i have though is like that secondary is so bad i can get open even with my man cold so i i Prove think it. brock purdy can at least play well enough to get them past the lions so i would say that it's more likely it's going to be the kansas city chiefs
0: you guys know where i'm going on this i lions i really don't think that i'm being a homer here i i hope that i'm not at least i think the 49ers are going to wipe the floor with the lions because of what t-bone just said i think we are getting way out over our skis On that Lions defense, their secondary is so bad. Now, I do think it's going to be hard for the 49ers to run against them, and that might be a problem because a lot of the 49ers offense is based upon the running game. But if Debo is able to play, I think Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk are going to be open all day long, and I think you're going to see a ton of Christian McCaffrey in the passing game uh, against the Detroit Lions. I think the 49ers score 30-plus in this one, and I think it's going to be really hard for the Lions to be able to keep up with that. And I think the other game is the opposite. I think Chiefs Ravens is going to be like a 20 to 16 type of a game. And it could go either way. I don't have a lot of confidence that the Chiefs will be on the winning side of it, but I think they are much more likely to win than I do with the Lions. So I'll go with the Chiefs because of the way that that game going to be played. Alex?
4: So what Mike McKenna just told us got me thinking. More likely to happen in two years, the Blues are pushing for a deep run in the playoffs or selling a lot of pieces off of their team. Mm. Oh, In man. two years So the 2026 So after next season We're either talking about this team Looking like a deep run could be coming Or they're making big changes Like the Nashville Predators you know, did a really
0: smart man once told me optimi- Being optimistic doesn't cost you anything
5: You're welcome man
4: His He said Mike
0: smart Schilt. man
5: Oh, His
0: name was Mike Schilt and he also
4: said, Brandon, he did. he also said that he said
0: many things. It's <laughs> not your
5: job. We're going to scratch and claw.
4: Yeah. How's that scratch? Yeah. Matt Carpenter, bountiful harvest. That's <laughs> how he made his that salsa.
0: Guy. That's how he made his salsa. Um, but to answer the question, I think it is more likely that they go on a run in two years. I think this Western conference is opening up around the blues. And if they take advantage of this the way that they potentially could, if they play their cards the right way. And I, I believe an army enough to think that he will. Um, I think they could be right there. So in a couple of years, Leon Drysaddle's a center for them, and the Blues are going to make a deep, deep, deep run in the postseason. Just All slid
1: right, that one that I that Do you like kind of I
0: slid in Leon Drysaddle's blue?
1: That's
0: well, nice. I
4: mean, Mike Leute is his agent. I mean, if they're agent. doing
0: that, I feel great. Mike
4: Leute, the newest Blues Hall of Fame member, is his agent.
5: I'll say more likely they're taking pieces away from the team still. I just I'm not as highly sold on Snuggeru Dvorsky coming in, fixing the team, and zippity doo day, here we go to the Stanley Cup playoffs and being a true contender. I think did they you have just make
4: seri- a '90s Disney reference and not even know you did it.
5: You're welcome. Um, okay. I, I, I have serious concerns about the foundation of this team. Um, so I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna say more likely that they're selling off serious pieces.
4: I think I'm going to say it's more likely they're making a push because I don't think Snugger and Dvorsky are coming in to fix the problem. I think they're coming in to be a part of the solution. Um, I am also concerned of what you just said, which is why it kind of sparked my interest when Mike said, like, you know, Nashville made wholesale changes to fix the culture and it changed their roster. I, I think you could do both. I think if you feel like you've got depth coming in, if there's still a culture problem, you could do both. But in two years, I'm going to back my faith in Doug Armstrong and say, like, yeah, I think they're competing for something. Yeah,
0: and I think that's probably the right answer. t yes.
5: More likely to have a breakout season this year for the Cardinals. And I don't know if this second guy I'm going to say would fall into this, but I'm going to throw him in here. Mason Wynn or Dylan Carlson? More likely they do what? Say that again? Have a breakout year. Mason Wynn.
4: I'd say Dylan Carlson. Oh, I, don't, I don't think you're going to see any offense from Mason Wynn. I think it's going to be all defense with him. And that's why, like, I I would say that is a breakout. If you oh, see really? him become, like, a gold glove candidate at shortstop. But isn't stop, that the expectation? Like, isn't the well, expectation probably, of. But what? if you
0: if you have a guy that comes in at, what, 22 years old? Is that how old he is right now? Yeah, I think 22, so. 23, whatever it is. And he comes in, he's a borderline gold glover at shortstop and hits 230. A hell of a player, man. That's a really nice guy to have at that specific position. Now, if he did that at second base, it might leave you wanting a little bit more. But at shortstop, a premium defensive spot, I I would say that's a to me, that would be a break, that would represent a breakout campaign for him. Because I think the bar's just lower at uh at shortstop.
5: I I would say Mason Wynn, I again I'm not sure like what he is gonna be offensively. I think you're probably right. thirty, play goal glove defense. I just I haven't seen enough from Carlson to get excited about him and i don't know where he's getting opportunities that's either probably the biggest thing is i just don't know how, how is he getting into the lineup i, I think he gets in the lineup by tommy Edmund. or
4: i think there's an injury that takes place and that's where i think he gets in and dylan Carl like the, the most cardinal thing ever is dylan carlson has a breakout year looks like the guy that we all thought he was and then the Cardinals sign him to a contract extension and then he sucks the rest of it like that is the most cardinals thing to happen
5: and hey, they I, didn't give o'neill an extension give yeah but
4: boy they were close
5: that was just me no, yeah. yours, oh, was was Bader. yours
4: was beta. Yours was beta, too. And to be
0: fair, I feel good about that one. He ended up getting like the exact God. amount of money that I said that he yeah, probably would Could, you, be, I mean, could you imagine
4: him locked up at 10 years? Oh, well, I didn't say 10 years. I said
0: $10 million per year. I said I five thought years, it 50 was 10 by granted. 10. No, no, when, when, It was a five year, $50 million deal. And if they did do that, I think next year would have been the final year of that. And he's making like
5: $13 million this year. It's, yeah, granted. Perfectly fine. Back perfectly then, fine. back then he was playing like 150 games <laughs> yeah. a year. Now he plays like. Uh, <laughs>
4: Easy
0: There might have been some stuff that you didn't
5: love about it. You but say
4: tomatoes, I say strawberries. It's the same thing.
5: Yeah, I. But uh, my concern with Carlson is, I just even in that year he did break out, 2021, that rookie, that full rookie year, he was like barely above league average against right-handed pitching. He's just never shown it against righties. And I'm not gonna be willing to go into the season expecting him to really take a drastic step in that direction. All
0: right, 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely to be the Cardinals center fielder heading into the all-star break. Tommy Edmund, Dylan Carlson, or Victor Scott.
4: I'll say Tommy Edmund. Because if he's hurt, it changes things. But I'll go down the path that he's not hurt. He's your center fielder.
5: Yeah, I'll go Tommy Edmund as well. I, I think they're gonna be cautious with Victor Scott and wait to have him on the win trajectory where he comes up in like September as a late call-up and maybe even makes the postseason roster as just a guy that can be thrown into like a pinch running situation to steal a bag for you I can't see them going to Carlson and one thing that I'll be curious is like post all-star break I don't think they do this before the all-star break post all-star break if Edmund gets hurt well they turn to Scott before Carlson in center field no I'd recommend but maybe, it, but
0: maybe uh, you'd honestly. also recommend leading he, off with Goldie, and that's not going to happen. There's obviously a ton of context that's necessary here, like
5: is he playing well? Is he playing well? What's is, Carlson look like?
0: Yeah, um, I just
5: don't think Carlson's a center fielder. Even if he was hitting, I wouldn't want him. In you guys field.
0: know I've been saying that for years, and everybody criticized me and said, "Oh, but BK, he plays well. Look at the number No, watch him. Watch the games. Watch the games, guys. You know, watching games. Watch the games.
4: He I do watch call. the games and he looks fine <laughs> He doesn't, he looks
0: like he's not a he natural center fielder And that's okay, he looks fine There's no harm in just being an excellent corner outfielder <sighs> That's what he is I Tommy Edmond of- is an excellent center fielder I believe that Harrison Bader was an excellent center fielder Now, of course they, you did Neither of them were Jim Edmonds Jim Edmonds is one of the best Not named Andrew Jones Who should be a future Hall of Famer um, But they're good, they're, they're really good out there
4: did your sassiness fall over Dylan here?
0: Carlson is like a, no, if I right was doing it. a scale of one to 10, Carlson would be like a five. He can play it. I don't want him to play it every day, but he can if he
5: hits. He can play it. He doesn't it, hit well enough. He can play it when needs a day off. Yeah. Not if Edmonds hurt for a three week stretch. He can't play center field. Because I saw a lot of the ball in the gap and him going, I got it,
4: I got it. Oh, I don't got it. You know what? None of this is your job, you two. So just keep your mouth shut. From the 636, he guys, he looks
5: it. fine,
0: and the numbers back that up. You're all about the numbers, BK, unless they disagree with you. Uh, I disagree with a lot of True. defensive numbers. I think defensive numbers are crap. Defensive numbers have a lot of room for growth. <laughs> and that
4: is what I will say. Oh, hey, there's BK looking at numbers being like, no, nah, I don't agree with these, but well, I agree with
5: these. The numbers say he was, a, I think, a negative one in run save yeah. in center field. Edmund plus four.
4: Numbers say Wilson Contreras was fine behind the plate.
5: No, they don't. Yeah, they uh, didn't. 314-399-9646 no. <laughs>
0: is the air comfort service. X line. More likely, Gorman and Walker both hit 30 home runs, or Miles Michaelis and Sonny Gray both win 15 games. Gorman Walker, 30 home runs. Michaelis
4: and Sonny Gray, 15 wins. I'll say Michaelis and Sonny Gray, 15 wins. I don't know if you're going to get 30 home runs from both of those guys because I'm just not sure longevity-wise they've got the they've got the years under their belt at the majors of being consistent like that. So I, I think, my, I, I mean, we all talk about how wins don't matter, right? Especially in baseball. I think you could get to 15 wins for both of those guys if the offense is hitting and they pitch well. Cardinals better be good.
5: I'm gonna. Say, I'm going like say. Really good. More likely, it's Walker and Gorman get to 30. And with that being said, that probably helps get Gray and Michaelis to that mark. They won a combined 17 games last year. By yeah, the way. and Mike Michaelis was below 500 like two years ago when he was great as an all-star. Um, I the it's stat, Holly pulled him out of the game win, too the fast. The winstat sucks. So does the blown saves. But we can talk about that another day. Um, I I'll say Gorman and Walker. I do have concerns. <laughs> I think it's fair to worry about Gorman's <laughs> back if he can stay healthy. I think Walker can get to 30 this year. I don't have a doubt of that. The concern for Gorman is his back hold up. He's got the back of a 50-year-old. So, Oh, that's well, good. I'll, I'll let's back that I'll, one and not he, trade he it away. He talked about it at winter warm-up, how he's kind of learning how to manage through that. I think this is the year you see kind of that he gets through most of the back pain. Mm, so i would say more likely they good. hit 30 Chronic back
4: issues never plague somebody in their career.
5: I mean, I to be fair, like I was willing to trade Preko with him, and now I would have looked like an idiot because he looks great.
4: You still look like an idiot.
5: No.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Gorman and Walker. Miles Michaelis has passed 12 wins in a season once in his major league career. Bad luck. Sonny
4: Gray, as we all know. It's because the manager doesn't let him
0: pitch doesn't. long enough. He doesn't win. Sonny Gray is not a winner. Right. As we all know, yeah. right? That's Great what Great acquisition, Cardinals. He's never won more than 14 games, so he's never reached this threshold in his major league career. He is 34 years old. I don't think he's going to get there this year. And that is not me saying that he's bad. Last year, he had a 2.8 ERA and he won eight games. That did not make him a bad pitcher. His team Terrible. was eight and eight or he was eight and eight rather when he was on the mound.
4: Well, I'd last say your year. offense sucks if that guy's going to pitch that way and you're not picking up wins. I agree. And that's what the Minnesota Twins were last year. Yeah. I think
0: your offense is going to be pretty good this season. Yeah. I think he wins 10 to 12 games and you're really happy with that. And if he has a 3-0 ERA with 12 wins this season, I think every Cardinal will look back and say, you know what? Sonny Gray was really good. But if he goes out there and has a 380 RA and wins 15 games, I think Cardinals fans are going to look at it and be like, man, that is not the pitcher I thought we were getting. So I, I don't think it's about the wins. I think it is about whether or not he pitches well. Now, and those again, two BK things do not always doesn't like a stat in hand. Yeah, exactly. It's another it. stat that goes against what this I believe.
4: Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, I coming know. up. This is the life I live.
0: Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Do you think Brandon Saad would have value for a playoff contender if the Blues decided to not blow it up, but listen on guys with term on their contracts moving forward? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. The Junk tour is next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario
5: brought to you by
3: fenton bar and grill best trashed wings in missouri dine in carry out seven days a week
0: on BK in just a little bit. We'll talk about the value of Brandon Saad if the Blues were to sell at the trade deadline. That's coming up here in just a bit. But right now, it's time to dive into the junk drawer. Guys, have you seen this story about Chiefs fans that were found in
4: the backyard of their friend's house? (laughs) No, we talked about this yesterday. (laughs) I didn't see the story, but just hearing the conversation was just wild in itself. Have you seen this story, T-Bone? I
5: have not. I know you told us a little bit about it. Okay.
0: So police are looking into the mysterious deaths Of three Chiefs fans that went home to watch a playoff game against the L.A. Chargers and never return. Well, and not a playoff game. I'm reading right now from a story. I went Ron Burgundy. Uh, According to NBC News, it was a playoff game against the Chargers. But as we all know, Chargers didn't make the playoffs this year. So it was a regular season game against the L.A. Chargers. But it was in the month. Do some work, man. I'm
5: already questioning this whole story.
4: this uh, This is one of those fake stories you guys make fun of me about.
0: The three men. Went to a home in Kansas City on January 7th. They went to watch the game. Two days later, one of their fiancés went to the home looking for them because he never came back. She called the police. They confirmed there was a body on the back porch. And then as they continued looking around that house, they found two other dead bodies in the back of the home. Now, Alex, this was January. It was obviously incredibly cold out there. And they died, apparently, because of the cold. They literally froze to death in the backyard. Now, this is the part of it that I don't understand. There were, quote, no obvious signs of foul play seen at or near where the men were found, and no arrests have been made in relation to
4: this. This is unsolved mysteries. This is the stuff I hate, man. Oh, I love this stuff. You like this? Oh, I love this stuff. <laughs> You're like my wife. My wife hates watching Unsolved Mysteries with me because she's like, I want to know what happened. I'm like, the whole point of the damn show is it's an unsolved mystery. I need to know what happened to these individuals. Have they done an autopsy yet?
0: Uh, I have not seen any update in that regard. Because first
4: thing I wonder is... Where there drugs involved? Yeah, sure. Like that's the or first alcohol, thing you think. Of, right? Or Like alcohol. They fell
0: asleep outside, and then they were in a frozen slumber for the, the next damn. four days. You gotta bad. be,
4: you gotta be real lit if you're falling asleep in that cold. I, I mean, there's gotta be some kind of foul play here. Right? Yeah, you know, I don't know where my twisted mind goes. These three guys were murdered somehow, and then this, and then they were placed this in weird backyard. serial killer had like a dinner oh. with them outside, and just placed them at chairs and made it look like it was natural causes. I
0: need more information on this story, like I need oxygen. Like it is at that level.
4: Like they need, I need oxygen, oxygen, right? Yeah. They Good needed. One. They needed oxygen and warmth.
5: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like I'm okay if. It's,
4: man, I love uh, these kind of stories. <laughs> I think this is great. These guys weren't old; they were your age, Alex. Whoa, don't throw that at me. Thirty-seven and thirty-eight old. Thirty-six. No. Jesus, man.
0: 33. Oh, well, you're close. You'll you'll be there sooner or, r- or later. De- death is around the corner for me. I know. They say that this is not being investigated as a homicide and there's no suspicion of foul play
4: and they don't suspect that there was anything that took place here. Like I... The texter brings up a great point. I got... My first question is how the hell did it take the wife two days to go find so, them? So, fair
0: question. Also fair and she's one of the suspects in my yeah. mind. <laughs>
4: yeah. She's the one that probably <laughs> did it and put him in chairs outside and let him freeze. In my mind, allegedly you know, all of the disclaimers
0: here so that way we don't get sued or anything because I don't know the woman, but uh, I would be suspicious. <laughs>
4: I, yeah. I would have follow questions. Primary suspect number one.
0: Like, Alex, if you went to, you know, let's say you and T-Bone came over to my place. I would never it would happen. never happen, but let's Different say
4: Different
0: scenario. Uh, we're watching know a, a Blues playoff <laughs> game, which also won't exist, but, you know, in this scenario, the Blues made the playoffs. Whoa, Western Conference sucks. They'll probably make the playoffs. Maybe. You guys come over, it. and we watch the playoff game together. 11 o'clock, you know, we've had some drinks. We go sit outside, smoke some cigars together, right? That's that would I'm never sure happen. A, something on, on t radar. That would never happen. I it. And in this scenario, the playoffs are actually played in January instead of, you know, May or June. What kind of weird world are you putting together right now? <laughs> Just like, we don't have a team here. We don't have a team that all of us are rooting for. Mizzou makes the college football playoff. This is a better way to go about it. And we're watching the game together at my that place, right? Out
4: then. January. Same thing as like 60 degrees in January at the college football playoffs. Whatever. (laughs) And you don't go home for two days. Oh, yeah. If I don't come home that night, my wife is probably calling the police like his me mom is calling the police true. If he doesn't show up for the next two days at his apartment, probably right. She's not. I can damn well tell you that my wife is calling the police like I my wife's texting me while I'm there. And if I'm not responding, she's getting concerned.
5: Maybe she was out of town. I Hmm. need answers.
4: Maybe she was out of town. This will be a Netflix documentary. You know that, right? This will be a documentary very, very soon. I I love these types of unsolved mysteries. Alien abduction would be the other one I'd think of. Somebody said they were probably
0: drinking around the fire pit, passed out, and then froze to death. There's a big leap between drinking (laughs) around the fire pit Passed out, dead. You know what? <laughs> you know what
4: happens when you pass out. You wake up a couple of hours later, especially if I'm out in the frigid cold. I mean, I guess maybe they were like legitimately blacked out. <laughs> you don't black out for two
5: days. Well, no. But if you're out there for
0: but it's gonna take you a long hours. time
4: to freeze.
0: So where are you guys? You guys are missing a lot of the story. The guy who owns the house didn't answer anyone's calls for two days, ignored everyone, and apparently didn't know they were dead out back. Okay.
4: Prim- he just moved out of the house as well. Alright. Primary suspect number well, now, two. Here we go. Yeah, there, there's another guy. Like this is now, now my let's try and solve this together. All allegedly, the wife and the homeowner knew each other behind the husband's back. And it was a dual op thing oh, So that they oh. could live together in bliss
5: Interesting.
4: Man My I watch way too on many crime stuff
0: Busted a window yelled This is from a different story And announced her presence and while she's inside said nothing to him Then the cops come ten minutes later And he comes out nonchalant in his boxers And with an empty wine glass in hand oh, Nothing yeah. is adding up
4: This guy's partying Hmm. Someone said Meemaw wouldn't stop Like Liam Neeson until she finds Tanner
0: <laughs> Yeah this dude that lives there Should go to jail
4: this guy should Allegedly. go to jail. Allegedly. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We
5: need proof, man.
0: They're all hanging out since after the game on Sunday. He knew people were looking for them. He read messages of people searching for him on Tuesday.
5: Hmm. hmm, hmm. I it's just. Interesting want, how they quickly just said no, no foul play.
0: I just want the cause. So there's four <laughs> dudes here. Three are dead, and one guy that lives there that's alive.
4: That wouldn't answer your calls, and then moved out after. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'd like. I'd like to have. A couple of conversations with him, if that's okay. Kansas City
0: Chiefs fan was asleep on the couch for two days while friends lay dead in his backyard.
4: How? According to his... How? Oh,
5: that has got to be shrooms.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's drugs then. <laughs> drugs involved. Allegedly.
0: At the time, it was negative
4: two degrees. Okay. Ooh, also, yeah. why are you going outside to have some beers in negative two degrees? Sitting I mean, around the fire at minus two degrees is I mean, not a good idea.
5: You know, they just wanted to experience you know. what it was like to be at that football no. game.
4: No, you then you could have gone. It was like five dollars to go. Hmm. True. Yeah, there's some wild stuff going on out in KC. Well,
5: that we always knew. Yeah. We'll
4: give you updates as we get them here on BK and Ferrario. This is yeah. a news. We're
0: company. like we should turn into a we should turn into a crime podcast. Oh, dude, we watched a uh, documentary last night. Um, it was an American Nightmare, I think is what it's oh, called yeah. on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but if you liked the movie Gone Girl,
4: you should watch this. No, it is a good I one. won't spoil it for you, but it was a nightmare in America.
0: <laughs> Coming up next, <laughs> would Brandon Saad have any value for a playoff contender?
1: talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: On, on BK, you know who I think is more controversial than he should be, Brandon Saad. Because Brandon Saad, in my opinion, has been exactly what the Blues signed him to be, Alex. When you look at what he's produced so far season one, 24 points or 24 goals, 50 points. Season two, in seven fewer games, 19 goals, 37 points. So far this season, he is on pace for 24 goals and 38 points. That's pretty much what the Blues thought Brandon Sod was going to be. And last night, had a really nice game. If not for Brandon Sod, you don't win that one out in Calgary. Puts in two goals, that is the player that he was supposed to be. And yet, Alex, when I went over to the Athletic the other day, they were talking about players that could potentially be traded, and Eric Duhachik, who I think does a really good job, generally speaking, for them, he had a who-says-no piece, and fans sent him trade proposals. And one of those proposals included Brandon Sod in a deal, I believe it was, to Pittsburgh. And it wasn't a significant trade going either direction, but it was Brandon Saad of Pittsburgh was the genesis of it. And he said, I don't think Brandon Saad would be interesting to really any team in the NHL because he is underwhelmed relative to expectations and his contract. Alex, this is the question that I wanted to ask you. Brandon Saad has two more years after this season left on his deal. He's at $4.5 million. Now, important note, Brandon Todd has a full no-trade clause, and if he doesn't want to move, he doesn't have to be traded. But if the Blues decided to sell as they get closer to the deadline, and we're about six weeks away right now,
4: do you think he has value on the trade market? Yeah, I would almost guarantee there's value on the trade market, but there's a couple of other scenarios that come into play. Does he want to go there, and are the Blues willing to eat some money? And I don't think the Blues would be willing to eat money, because you're eating 50% of his salary— for now and the next two years, and Doug's not going to pay for that player to go play somewhere else unless you're getting a better player in return. And I don't it's see- two million bucks though. Yeah, but we know how Doug works, and that's two million bucks you're paying to play elsewhere. And uh, can he do it for an unrestricted free agent? Absolutely. I don't think he's going to do it for two more years to where Brandon Saad is fine on this team. So um, I-, I do think there would be intrigue. The only scenario that I could see Brandon Saad being traded is if you bring somebody in that matches the window that you feel like your team is in. And if not, then I think you're just sticking with Brandon sod. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the problem right now is the same problem we've talked about with a lot of these guys. You, you when you signed Brandon sod, he was a third pair or third line winger for you. You, you were bringing him in for depth scoring. And since the team has made their transitions and they've moved away from some players, now he's become one of your primary goal scorers. And that's just not the role he's meant for. So, I think that's probably why there's so much heat on Brandon Saad. I find myself doing it at times, but he's also in a position that this team's retool is now focusing on him to be a key cog in it rather than just being a complimentary piece. So I'm sure there are teams that would be interested in him, but for the scenario that I just painted, I don't see the blues trading him because they're not eating salary. And even if you eat some of that salary, I don't think you're bringing anything that warrants you to make that trade.
5: That's kind of where I am. Is I think you'd have to eat some money for a deal to get done with Brandon Sod, and I don't think the Blues want to do that. I don't think they want to eat any money, even though like I don't expect them to be a cap team next year when the cap does go up. Because why would ownership want to spend in the cap for a team that's in the middle of a retool? It just it doesn't make sense. Um, but I think Sod's been fine, and I think the frustration for him this year. And I I'm totally with Alex. I get caught up in in it too is because the expectation for the Blues, at least what they said publicly, was, hey, we want to be a playoff team. Okay, well, if you want to be a playoff team, you need more from Brandon Saad, but that's not really what Brandon Saad is suited for. He should be a third-line guy that does float in and out of games that maybe you don't notice for a week stretch, but it doesn't kill you because he's on the third line. And the problem with this team is he's on the second line. He's supposed to be, like, what, your fourth-best goal scorer? Mm -hmm. And when he goes through those floating in and out of games, therefore a stretch, like a five-game stretch where he just doesn't do much offensively, it becomes very noticeable. So with somebody like him? Yeah. And honestly, I don't think his contract's a bad contract, but I don't know if somebody's going to trade for him with two more years of control without some money being eaten. Yeah, Yeah. like
4: when he was in Colorado, that was the perfect role for him. He could float in and out of games because you had the main guys that took care of business, and Saad would step up when you needed him to.
0: And this is why I think if I'm a contender, he's exactly the kind of player that I'm looking for. Yeah, Like— I I need somebody that can be a 20 to 25 goal scorer for me if I'm a team that is looking for middle six forwards. And this is why if I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm doing exactly what Alex said, especially because of what T-Bone mentioned. If you're not going to be a cap compliant team the next couple of seasons, and we'll see, we don't don't know exactly what their plans are, but if you're not going to spin to the cap next year... Well, then, man, what better use of your resources than to spend a little bit, like two, two and a half million bucks on Brandon Saad to play elsewhere if that gets you a better return on your investment? I, I think what the Blues will probably do is push all of these decisions that we're talking about to the offseason. I think that's the most likely outcome is they say, you know what? And I
4: believe he's got a modified no trade in the off season.
0: Uh, I think it continues to be a no-trade, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's no-trade until the 2025 season. You've got one more year after this year of the full no-trade and then a modified uh, 12-team no-trade clause afterwards. But I I think with Brandon Saad, with Pavel Buchnevich, with uh, Kevin Hayes, I think all of these guys are players that become really interesting to other teams in the offseason, and that's when you can more easily replace them internally with either free agents, trade candidates, whatever. But as you get closer to the deadline, if you do get calls on these players and you're roughly where you're at right now, guys, none of us think that the Blues are actually doing anything of significance in the playoffs. I think all of us, if we had our honest answer, would say they're probably not getting into the playoffs as currently assembled. And so if you can get a third-round pick for Brandon Saad, maybe a second-round pick because you're eating half of his salary for the next two seasons, I think that might be worth it for the Blues. And if you're one of these teams that is up against the cap... And you can have Brandon Saad, a 20 to 25 goal score at $2.2 million for each of the next two seasons. Dude, that is a really valuable commodity to have. You're not getting that on the free agent market. You're not finding that via the trade route this offseason. The only place that you can really find it is via the Blues and via Brandon Saad.
4: Yeah, I think if you're doing that, it's kind of like the Yakub Verana trade that the Blues pulled off, where a team looks at it and is like, well, we'll take the value on this. Now, I know that was more of a... Uh, a low-risk, high-reward thing with Yakub Verana, and you know what you're getting in Brandon Saad. But in in the only situation, that if I'm Doug Armstrong, that I'm making that move, is what am I bringing back? I don't think you make that trade for a draft pick. Oh, really? I think you make that trade. If I'm bringing somebody, like, let's say, um, because they had an under-the-radar list on The Athletic, and Nick Robertson is one that I really like, let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs need more certainty in their bottom six. I'll eat half of that salary and you send me Nick Robertson because that's a guy that could play in my top nine that I hope can be a goal scorer for me. And I and he's younger. He's 23 years old. That plays into the trajectory of my team. And Brandon Saad is going there to provide them an asset for the next three years to try and push for a playoff spot. That's the only scenario that I would do it. I've got to be bettering my team for the remainder of the season. I don't think draft picks get it done anymore.
2: That's
0: interesting. I I actually like that. I prefer that route honestly because yeah. draft picks are such crap, such a crapshoot, and they're so far away. Could have just finished up with it with crap, such crap, right? They're so far away as well yeah. that the timeline you are starting to want to especially if it's a third round bit. pick and the odds of that guy being a meaningful piece for your team in two to three years it, it's low. So I would prefer the route that you are talking about, Alex, where you are saying, "Hey, let's let's bet on the upside here." I have no idea if he's going to be a good player or not, but if he does, if he turns out to be something that's useful, man, we might have hit the jackpot here. I like that. I prefer that route personally. I would do that with Kevin Hayes. I would do that with Brandon sod, I would listen on offers if he's willing to go on Nick Letty, Tori Krug, Justin Falk. Yeah. Like all of these guys, and I'm willing to retain money. I am. And that is risky, but for most of these players, you have two to three years remaining. Like Nick Letty, if you could trade him somewhere else and somebody else is taking on essentially a million bucks for the rest of this year and then two each of the next two seasons, that's a good deal for whoever is getting him. That's basically the the inverse of the Kevin Hayes deal for the Blues, where Kevin Hayes at three point five is a pretty nice salary. Kevin Hayes at six, not so interested in that. If I'm the Philadelphia Flyers, so I got I understood why they made the deal. I understood why the Blues make the deal. It's the same thing now. Kevin Hayes at one point seven five for another team that's bringing him on. Dude, you're not going to get a player of his caliber for that kind of money anywhere else. Yeah. This is the only opportunity you'd have for that. Brandon Saad at two point two five million dollars. Uh, Le- Nick Letty at two. Tory Krug at three point five. Same thing for Justin Falk. These are guys that if you were to deal them, yes, you're having to maintain some salary, but you could get a better player because you are willing to eat some of that money. And if you're not planning to to really compete on a super high level, it's not the biggest deal in the world if you're retaining salary for two or three of these guys.
4: Yeah, and that's why I just if I'm a, if I'm Doug Armstrong now, I'll eat salary. I'm not going to eat salary for Falk and Krug because. Although you are opening up a cap space, you, you're also spending, like, I think, for the next four years. And that might be a little bit more difficult to swallow than, like, a Nick Luddy or three. a Brandon Saad, where I mean, that's like, what, two years that you're paying for those guys. But, uh, again, I'm not doing any of this to just get draft picks. I'm doing this to get roster players in return that can bring in different faces and different mouths to my team that can try and expedite this retool because I've got, I've got five picks in the first three rounds, this upcoming draft and mine might be a top 12, top 10 pick. I'm good on draft picks. What I need now are different position players that can start to provide my team what they don't have. I think that's the way to look at it. And over on the athletic, you mentioned it, Alex, they had a
0: piece on, some under-the-radar players that are kind of falling out of favor with their current team, the yeah. way that Jakub Verona did last year, but it's, it's a bit different because these are like young players that just haven't quite cracked their lineup in the way that they were hoping they would, as opposed to a guy that's been around the league, has been in multiple teams, like Nick Robertson for the Toronto Maple Leafs is one of the guys that you mentioned. Uh, 2019 draft pick, 53rd overall selection that year, has had some moments where it looked like, hey, maybe this could come together for him, and it just... He's not the player they thought he was going to be, and they're trying to contend now. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Frost is That's a guy the that one. just it hasn't worked for him in Philadelphia the way they were hoping for. If he has a change of scenery, he gets into a different situation. Could it work with lower expectations elsewhere? Maybe. Those are the kinds of players that we're talking about here, or yep. you're betting on a a potential buy low high upside type of a player
4: yeah I mean you got you get guys that fall out of grace with their teams these are I mean these guys the other one that I really liked on this list was Oliver Wallstrom for the New York Islanders it's a right winger six foot two uh, is a guy that can be a goal scorer for you uh, these are guys that are playing third or fourth line roles on teams that are trying to compete. And they're they're just not providing what that team needs. Those are guys that if I'm Doug Armstrong, I look at and I say, "Cool, we see if these guys fit into where my team is at right now." 24, 23, 25 years old. Let's see what. Let's see if they can do what Kapanen and Verona weren't able to accomplish with this team. You know who I like? That's on this list. Philip Broberg. Yeah. former top ten pick. I like Swedish this
0: defenseman. Six foot four, two hundred pounds, has that size, that length that you're looking for. He's twenty two years old. It has not worked so far for him in Edmonton. Could you get something out of him? Absolutely. Could he replace Tyler Tucker on your roster, like that spot in your roster, or really the Marco Scandella role? Whenever you trade Mark if you traded Marco Scandella at the deadline, like those, those are the kinds of risks that you have to be willing to take right around this time of a retool. Because if it works, if he's in year four, year five, and it's like, oh, suddenly it's clicked. And we know it takes a while for these defensemen to reach their full potential. Maybe you get a third pair defenseman that is able to play in your second pair occasionally. Yeah. And if that ends up being the case, man, you've got a guy that's making $800,000 that can be that role for you. That's something of significance.
4: I'll give you another one that wasn't on this list. He's with the Winnipeg Jets, and I doubt that they would do this because it's in division. Logan Stanley, six foot seven defenseman who plays the left side. He's played seven games for go. the Winnipeg Jets. All of these guys, like... Think, think the movie of replacements. Like, guys that have no role anywhere else, you put together on a team. I think that's what the Blues should try and emulate with some of their trades this, off, this upcoming trade deadline. And bring in guys that say, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's give guys an opportunity that aren't getting it elsewhere and see if they can provide a spark for our roster. Are you
0: okay paying $8 million next year for players that
4: aren't on your roster? Yeah. If I'm bringing something in that that gives me more production, absolutely. Because that would be the case if you traded like, and I
0: don't, again, I think this is all highly unlikely, but in this scenario, this is kind of the stuff that you got to do if you're Doug Armstrong. It's the creative thinking. If you were in Doug Armstrong's office and you'd said, you know what, we're going to trade Tory Krug, we're going to trade Nick Letty, and we're going to trade Kevin Hayes. Those three guys combined, you're retaining roughly six million bucks over the next two to three years
4: if you don't do that and you're not bringing in players on the other side if those guys don't work out and you buy them out you're also paying those guys to go play elsewhere because remember doug armstrong said at that press conference he's not afraid to buy guys out if they don't match where this team is headed so yeah if i'm getting something in return i'm a-okay with paying some money for it because the window that the blues have to compete is two to three years which is the amount of time you're going to be paying those guys Somebody on the text line pushes back. By the way,
0: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service line. Are text they ashamed of us? In the show. Well played. Shane Falco. That's one of my favorite all-time movies, by the way. I love the repositions. Um, they said, yeah, that really worked out with Yakub, Verana, and Kapanen. Don't go back to that same well. But what did you
4: lose for Verana nothing. and Kapanen? Absolutely nothing. nothing. And, and now I'm going to be bringing in players that actually could give an opportunity in these spots and these guys are higher upside the
0: players that we're talking about would be a little different than bringing in players that have been given up on by multiple different organizations this would be guys that are more recently legitimate draft picks this would be like somebody else trading for scott Perunovich right now right that if you're another team and you're looking at Perunovich, you're probably saying to yourself man it hasn't worked for him in st louis but it did also didn't work with Vince Dunn in St. Louis. It also didn't work with Jake Wallman in St. Louis. And maybe that's a St. Louis problem. And you could talk yourself into it if you're a different market, saying, okay, let's bet on the upside. Former top draft pick, won the Hobie Baker award. Maybe it can work for him here if we put him into the exact right role. That's basically what we're saying for different teams with their scrap heap players. Um, and can, can you make it work here in and, St. Louis? And
4: real quick, the only thing, the only reason, and not the only reason, but one of the main reasons you have all of these guys still with the team is because Doug was hoping that these veteran players could provide growth to the players you have in place. And I don't think we've seen that with the veteran players' impact on these guys. So why not go for upside with some guys? Somebody said it's like the Barbie for Dean deal, to a degree, Yeah, except with more term remaining on the contract that's that's and you're getting more of an nhl experienced player
0: coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll talk to chris kerber the voice of the blues we believe we'll see if we can identify where he is at right now but vancouver canada the baseball writers mostly got it right yesterday we'll give you our thoughts on the newest hall of fame for the baseball world and why yesterday locked in one current cardinal as a future baseball hall of famer we'll get into it all coming up next on
1: 101 espn We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Outside Alex and T-Bone, it's BK and Ferrario. I'm Brandon.
4: <laughs> what the hell just happened? Are you on vacation mode again?
5: You just stopped. It's you like just a short <laughs> circuited. <laughs>
4: By the way, I had that happen to me last night on the this pregame. Year. I, I opened up and I said, welcome back in, and I forgot where they were playing. <laughs> and there was five seconds of dinner. I think Grant was going to try and come over and reboot me. The the Blues are in Calgary, Canada. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> didn't this say is what I ESPN. Jerome of the Blues. Didn't say Missouri. I mean, okay. you have
0: 150 different sponsors that you have to mention. So I understand at some It's point. like eight of them tied to the pregame show. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember going <laughs> it. Out. I was like, you want me to say all of that? I'm not doing it. <laughs> Alex will get those mentions and for me later. All right. Yeah. Um, the 2024 baseball writers association of America is in Adrian Beltre, Joe Mauer, and Todd Helton are the newest members of the baseball hall of fame. Alex, let's start here. I think we got it right. Yep. I think all three of those guys, let's start with the players that actually did get in. All of them are more than deserving. I think Joe Maurer is a hall of famer in my book. T-Bone, I would be curious if you think that Joe Maurer is a hall of famer, um, I had no issues with this. His prime was unbelievable. Adrian Beltre is one of the best, most underrated players of the 21st century. And I always thought Todd Helton was amazing. My family is from Colorado, so I have an affinity for the Rockies from that. And growing up, Helton was one of my favorite hitters in baseball. So I think they got it right with these three getting in. Did you guys agree with that?
4: Starting. Absolutely. I I mean, I thought there was no question that all three of these guys deserved to get in the wild part for, for me with Todd Helton when I was like looking into it. The guy really never won anything like you never won an MVP. I don't think that matters. In I don't either. And that's why like, look, he deserves to be in there. Cause I think he was one of the best pure hitters in his age with the Colorado Rockies. But like, we always talk about the MVP awards that hold guys back or world series. And this is a guy that never got any of those. He won silver sluggers though, but he Gold played, gloves. but he played in such an era with so many dominant hitters, mm-hmm. like with Albert Pujols and Ryan Howard, that he always, Barry Bonds f- always <laughs> flew under the radar. So yeah, I thought all three of these guys deserve to get in. I I do you think there were a couple of others? We'll get to that.
5: Yeah, I thought all three deserved to get in. And I know Maurer's career for some was a little bit shorter than they would have liked. But, I mean, he was dominant at catcher mm-hmm. when he was there. And, and I don't mean just dominant defensively. I mean offensively. Like that, You look at the year he won the MVP. I think it was 09. That was incredible what he did for that Minnesota Twins team. So I thought the three guys that they voted in. I thought all three were deserving. I was a little surprised Andrew Jones didn't get in. Agreed. He's the one that I thought should have gotten in. Same with Billy Wagner. I thought Billy Wagner's a Hall of Famer. Those would be the five that would have been on my ballot.
4: Those are the two that really angered me that Andrew Jones wasn't in. I don't understand how these Hall of Fame voters are like, no, not him or Billy Wagner. I thought Billy Wagner was one of the dominant closers at a time. So I don't have as big of an issue with Wagner. He's going to get in, though.
0: He'll he'll get in next year. He was right on the cusp this year of getting in. He's at 74% of the vote. You need 75% Next year is his final year on the ballot. He'll get a push. He'll he'll get in. Billy Wagner will eventually be a Hall of Famer. I'm disappointed by Gary Sheffield not getting in. And I know this is a place where I, I'm certain T-Bone will disagree with me. And that's totally fine. But growing up, to me, Gary Sheffield was a Hall of Famer. Like There was no doubt in my mind about it. That dude should be in. Andrew Jones should be in. For me, Carlos Beltran should be Agreed. in. This is another place that I know many in our audience will get mad about. That is fine. Alex Rodriguez is one of the best baseball players of our era. Alex Rodriguez should be a Hall of Famer. And if you wants to market that he was a steroid user, go ahead and do so. And put it on the plaque and say... There are either questions or, I mean, in his case, confirmed cases in which he was a PED user, and that supported his play in a way that buoyed his Hall of Fame case. Fine. Put that on the ba- or put that on his plaque. It is a museum. You cannot tell the 21st century story of baseball, especially given the contractual status for Alex Rodriguez, without mentioning Alex Rodriguez, who is one of the best players that I have ever seen play the game of baseball. So I think he should also be in, but he's not getting in. And so that's where we are with that. Those are my biggest takes, if you will, on what we saw voting-wise. Did you guys have any opinions on Sheffield, Jones, Beltron, a Those are the other guys that got the, the next highest votes.
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of – I know people push back. I, I- – I'm on the same page. Like I think a lot of those steroid users deserve to be in there. Sure, you got to put an asterisk next to it. Sure, you got to say that they used steroids. But I still think they told the story of baseball. And as you say, BK, it's a it's a museum essentially. What that baseball Hall of Fame is. Uh, I'm with you on Beltron. Gary Sheffield's one that's kind of hit or miss with me. I, I like. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer, but I also think he's kind of like the Hall of Really Good. Um, but his career backs up some of the numbers in terms of the impact that he had. So, yeah, I'm kind of on the same. The ones that just pissed me off the most was Andrew Jones. I just don't understand the whole, well, he'll get in sooner or later. Just put him in the Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer, and he should be in.
5: Now, my vote will change next year you yeah, know, after, I yeah, after I think about it more. Yeah, after
4: I think about it more. Oh, well, he waited I, his
5: time. So I, I think Jones should have gotten in. I Sheffield's one that I have a tough time with because I, I typically don't look towards putting in more of those that first guys into the hall of fame if, if that makes sense because like sheffield was never a great defensive player and really became a dh at the end of his career and like you look at the offensive numbers and it's like holy crap this guy's really good and then like i look at like his war through his career and look i'm one that's skeptical of war he's i think i just saw like 11 11 wins above replacement less than the average right fielder in the hall of fame which just tells me his defense was such a negative against sure. his case and that's why like I still vote, would have like Jim Tomei, for example, who was really d8 for his whole career. I would have voted in Jim Tomei, but I had a difficult time trying to say that. Um, so I'm on the fence with Sheffield. I would be okay if he got into the Hall of Fame. 2,700 hits and 500 home runs. Like yeah. it's just
0: the the raw numbers are really hard to ignore with a guy like Gary Sheffield. Was,
4: man, was he the second? Nine-time All-Star. Was he the second best batting stance to emulate as a kid? Oh, for like sure. Like Ken Griffey Jr. was number one, and I think Gary I think Sheffield. In St. Was Louis, too.
0: Most people probably did Albert, right? The, the yeah. sitting in the chair. It was
4: never. It was never comfortable for me, you know. See, that's fair. My, but my quads Sheffield, couldn't the, take it. The the, the crazy bat. Yeah. yeah, I mean that Loved that was that.
0: it was iconic. So mm-hmm. I, for me, he was a Hall of Famer, but I understand that there are people that disagree. I just think that the offensive numbers are really hard to ignore. Now, my biggest takeaway Cardinals wise from yesterday. Paul Goldschmidt just was a is now a confirmed future Hall of Famer. He could end his career today, and I believe he would get into the Hall of Fame. And I believe that the reason why is because of Todd Helton. Todd Helton's appearance into the Hall, given the Coors effect, which does have an effect on your numbers, although I think a little overstated by many. Todd Helton is incredibly similar in terms of his career numbers. Wins above replacement-wise, offensively, everything about what he did in his career, if you look at where Goldie is right now, they are almost identical. And then if you add in another couple of seasons by Paul Goldschmidt, I believe that this locks in Paul Goldschmidt as a future Hall of Famer with Todd Helton getting in yesterday. So, uh, Goldie to me future Hall of Famer, Yachty definitely now in yeah. to the Hall of Fame. I think Buster Posey, Bo, Buster Posey benefited significantly yesterday with Joe Maurer getting in on the first ballot. I think Posey will be a future Hall of Famer. Uh, so there were a few trickled out effects of what the voting was like this year that I think will affect future voting. But the biggest one to me was with Goldie.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that one, especially for for Todd Helton. Like we just said, like there really wasn't anything behind Todd Helton other than just some really great numbers. And I could say the exact same thing with Goldie on top of that MVP that he just won.
5: And I think Goldschmidt better defensively than Todd Helton ever was. Um, so I, I think it helped his case. The other one, and I brought this up in the office – um, I, I I think Todd Helton helped Joey Votto a lot too, and Joey Votto, a great player. Same with Paul Goldschmidt, first baseman. I I think you're right with Goldie and at The I thought the MVP sealed the deal for Paul Goldschmidt in 2022. I think Todd Helton helped the case for Goldie, and it helped the case for Joey Votto.
0: I think that's true. Um, I just always have viewed Joey Votto as as a Hall of Famer, but I'm I'm unique in that regard. I know that that is not the common belief with him. Um, but Todd Helton, I think biggest thing he. He secured the case for Paul Goldschmidt, because now when people do the comparable numbers, they'll see Paul Goldschmidt's name next to Todd Elton. It's like, OK, easy check mark. Yep. Just go ahead and put that in. Well, and there's also no controversy whatsoever surrounding Goldie, which will help other him
4: than you got to make sure he waits his time. You know, he's got to sit for a couple of years to figure out what it means to be a Hall of Famer. I think he'll be a first ballot guy.
5: Goldie? Mm hmm.
0: When all is said and done, I think they'll look back on him and he'll get in on the first ballot. I think he'll get to 75%. And how of the, the hell is yeah, Andrew I...
5: Jones on the first ballot?
4: All of he famer. should be.
0: And by the way, the other thing, and it continues to be surprising to me more and more in future years, Jim Edmonds should have never fallen off. No, I don't like if you disagree that Jim Edmonds, you think he's not a Hall of Famer. That is perfectly fine. There are fair arguments on both sides. I think he is. But I, I understand there are arguments on the other side. The fact that he fell below 5% on the ballot is legitimately shocking Given the way that you look at his offensive numbers compared to guys that are actually getting into the Hall of Fame and they're comparable. And then you think about him defensively, it's like, man, it's that one is one of the bigger mistakes that has been made in the baseball Hall of
1: Fame voting in recent years.
0: All right, coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite Contractor.
0: and on I'm BK. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario as he does each and every Wednesday on the show. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. You guys had the trip over from Calgary to Vancouver last night. What was your biggest takeaway from the Blues 4-3 win against the Calgary Flames?
3: Well, it's just, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, BK, is just the fact that This team has a certain way that they have to play to be successful. The question is, is will they buy into it and do it for 60 straight minutes? And you saw what they did in in the last home game and how well that went. You you saw how well and good they looked in the third period. That's the formula. So they they have the formula. They know what it takes. You know you've got the goaltending that's going to give you a chance to win every single night. And so the question is, is do enough guys give it that kind of effort every single night? And if they do, they've got a chance to claw into this thing. Curbs, I loved
4: Drew Bannister's postgame. And frankly, I've loved his bluntly honesty after every single game to where when things, even after a victory, look bad, he is straightforward. Like last night saying, like, look, we fell asleep in the first period. And when we decide we want to play, we can be a dangerous team. And it seems the players take what he's saying and put it into effort the next game.
3: Well, they're trying and and we haven't seen it fully consistently, although look at, for a team that hasn't been as an overall record four games over 500 since the end of the 21-22 season, they have played four games over 500 at 10-6 and 1 under Drew Bannister. So I think you have to look at that as a positive thing and Alex, what I where I agree with you a lot on that is I'm listening to the post-game press conference last night, and I went, man, that sounds a lot like the bluntness of Baruby," And I love it. Now, he doesn't kind of have that. He doesn't have, I think, that hawking that, that personality, you know, uh, and, 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 and kind of stronger voice tone that Craig Baruby had. But he says the same thing. And, and he's just being really blunt and direct of what it takes. And, it, look, one thing is very clear. And then and how many times have we heard with all the different coaching changes around the league this year, teams and general managers and new coaches and everybody talking about accountability? Man, one thing is very clear. Doug Armstrong came in and says, I want to start seeing accountability held throughout the room. But, but to me, Alex, now, this accountability has got to come from the guys within. Uh, I, I, I think Drew Bannister has given them a roadmap. Uh, we saw special teams win them a game last night, in my opinion, with the penalty kill and the shorthanded goal from, uh, from Brayden Shen. Now, now to me, it's when you come in after a first period, Is somebody looking at a player, that's always turning the puck over. Somebody look at some, Hey, we got to get more from you. Let's go. Or if somebody, does somebody get over to the bench, you know, and sit there and say, Hey, you're killing us with that. Like, let's go get in this thing. And um, once, Ken Hitchcock always said it guys You know you know a team's ready to go When the team kind of takes it over And I think that's where this team's going to have to go These guys have to hold each other accountable And they know how to do it they, they, They've shown that they can play a certain way Now it's a matter of getting it done Curves, is some of that though like
0: guys that are more talented and I'm not trying to be demeaning here but guys that are more talented are more likely to play consistently every single night like you know what you're getting from Crosby every single game it's a little different when I'm talking about you know a third line center that's 25 years old is is some of this just a matter of hey the, the Blues don't have the dudes that you need to be able to be consistent the way we're
3: talking about you know what I Brandon I think that's a very fair question to ask And and I think that is part of the case here, you know, except for the fact that, you know, I think there's more consistency to see out of Butch and Cairo. Okay, what we saw in the third period is what you need to see more. The way Jordan Cairo was able to use his speed and take over that game a little bit in the third period. You saw way too many, in my opinion, turnovers and stuff in, in, in the first. All right. It was. You know, it was a, a bad bounce, you know, on Tory Krug at the point, but it's a veteran player that was unable to hold the puck in, you know, that led to that third goal that, that Calgary scored. In a lot of cases, we're not talking about young players needing to bring that consistency to be the difference maker. We're actually talking about veteran players. Look at the impact Brandon Saad had on that game. I think you want to see more of that because you can see it. He's playing in a top six role. So, yeah, where I, where I agree with you is that. You don't, I don't think you have the depth on this team top to bottom where you're going to see that. But I do think that from top to bottom, there is more consistency to find in most of the players, whether it's an older guy or a younger guy.
4: Curbs, one other thing that I noticed last night, and it was kind of a, an in-game change by Drew Bannister in that third period, was he went back to Kessel with Krug and Falk with Scandella. And, and like I'm trying to weigh the optimistic versus the pessimistic hmm. side of it, but it does seem like Drew Bannister keeps going back to having a defensive-minded player playing with both Krug and Falk rather than keeping them together as a pair.
3: Yeah, you know what? It was a great in-game in, in, in game change that he made. Uh, you were looking at the way the matchups were going, and, you know, Kessel had a couple of turnovers there, coughed up that one pizza early in the game, right? And, um, you know, and, and whether it was something to calm him down. But Marco Scandella was having a really strong game. You know, so, you know, I, I wonder if it was actually and different ways of looking at things, right? Do you look at it as Kessel was moved up with Krug, or do you look at it as Scandella was moved up with Falk?
0: And I was trying to look right. that up earlier today. Based on the playing time, it was kind of hard to be yeah, able was to. just it like, like on. that one way or the other. Exactly. It was like fifty-fifty. Yeah,
3: yeah. So when, when we get to the arena, they have our team meeting now down here in the hotel. There was no skate today. When we get to the arena to talk to Drew Bannister later, I'm, I'm gonna I'll ask that question to him. But you know, it, it's just it. Sometimes it's just a feel. And geez, I know we're gonna jinx them at some point in time. <laughs> or maybe we're past the jinx and stuff's gonna happen. But this this is just a. This is a crazy doggone nugget. I mean, Matthew Kessel just played in his 10th game last night of this season. He played in two last season. And, he has, and he's averaging 16-plus minutes a game over those 12 games he's played in the NHL. He has been on the ice for one total goal against. That's, that's special teams or even strength. One. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. That's crazy. I guess that's also lucky. I gotta be honest with you. I don't know what it is. Eventually, I mean, eventually he's gonna have a minus three, right? And and then we'll go apologize to him for talking about it. But 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 it 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 is kind of a cool stat, and uh, you've got to be really excited about this because, well, I don't know if really excited overstates it. That might be too much. But but you've got to be really happy about this because if there's one area where the Blues, when you're looking at the prospect pool coming up the one area where they don't have a whole lot in terms of young impactful defensemen or young impactful players is defense um, so the fact that he's able to step in and look like he's becoming a player at the NHL level is really, really encouraging.
0: Hey, Curbs, we're looking forward to the call tonight. Blues versus the Vancouver Canucks, a team that has been just absolutely gangbusters so far this year. A puck drop for that one coming up at nine. pregame with Alex will begin right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN at eight o'clock. Appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the game tonight.
3: Yeah, thanks. And uh, don't forget our uh, West Coast hockey rule. It's actually a law. I'm pretty sure it's on the books, but if kids want to stay up with the radio on in the room when the Blues are playing on the West Coast. They're allowed to do that. So that's just a note for all the parents.
4: There you go, T-Bone. You get to stay up tonight, man. Luca was Uh, listening to it in his bath last night. So we we are participating. You kept Luca up that late?
0: Well, it was the second period. See you, Curves. Take it easy. This is Chris Kerber. Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. I'm not listening to you guys go back and forth. (laughs) I'm done. That's fine. You guys listen to me. I'm not listening to you. It's only 150 right now. I got to be up until 11 o'clock. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrari Rewind here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com.
0: t One on BK. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by...
4: The and Auto Centers. Coming
0: up at 2 o'clock, we'll hand things over to the Fastlane. But Alex, tonight, the Blues back in action against the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver um, maybe the best team in all of hockey right now. Yeah, they are and the best team in all of hockey. They have been running Thatcher Demko into the ground. Yeah, They're a recipe for success has started 34 games for them so far this season. They have played in 46 games so far this year. And yet... Alex, you said he's not in net tonight. No,
4: Casey DeSmith is the one playing tonight. You love to see it. He's uh, the spicy pork guy, right? Nope, nope. That's uh, Louis Deming. Ah, close. Was, so close. No, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. I don't even think that's the same province. <laughs> they both
0: played for Pittsburgh. so no, You can understand the confusion. Yeah, yeah,
4: they did, but different, different, different I think times.
0: DeSmith was the one that went down first before
4: Deming went in. Nope, right? Louis Deming didn't play on Casey DeSmith's team last year. Ah, oh, damn. Louis Deming was two years ago, man. Stop living in the past. They together.
0: They were on that team. I think I'm right on this. Don't. Don't check my word. Tristan Jari was the one
4: that went down no, and Louis it. Domingue stepped That's in and played. So um, Alex, what are you expecting tonight? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, remember okay. <laughs> remember when Doug Armstrong said like I feel like we wake up and we don't know what to expect from this team I feel like I don't know what to expect from this team look th- it's a tough travel BK loves that excuse but you are yeah, dealing with that bad. one hour time yeah, zone
5: this, again hey, I know BK don't like this excuse this team loves that excuse
4: I, I'm expecting them to play a tight game defensively but I am expecting Vancouver to four- here's the thing about the Blues they struggle against teams that forecheck hard and play well against teams that are rush, play, rush teams Calgary is a team that likes to also play off of the rush it creates scoring chances Vancouver is a Rick Tuckett Craig Berube-esque team they are going to forecheck the hell out of you how do you respond to it we'll see if the Blues have 60 minutes in them
0: yeah I've got the Blues losing this one four to one tonight I was all right on last night with the Blues winning in that game I, I I've got four to one uh in favor of Vancouver Didn't by he the way that the
4: Blues are only going to win one game in this stretch I did me. not
0: I did not I said I had they would Calgary win minus one and a half uh, starter Casey Smith or DeSmith, suffered a lower body injury in the second overtime, and that is when Louis Domingue came into the game and we got the spicy pork quote afterwards. Oh, that's who we were talking Good about? I had no idea. No, For Alex and t I'm BK, your hockey expert here on BK and Ferrario. The fast side coming up next you're on 101
1: ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented
5: by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.